Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Third down and six right up the gut. That is Gibson, and he is gone. Third of the ball game for the rookie Antonio Gibson. And that is a knockout blow here in Arlington, Texas. These guys are here to break it all down. Uh, he's accountable. There's honestly not a bad word you say about the guy. I mean, you hit a home run. I mean, the biggest did not want to get rid of this guy. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. You play to win the game. This is the starting lineup with James Zabalski and Perry Solkowski. What's going on, everybody? TGIF. How you doing? James Zabalski here. Perry Solkowski there. Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass here on this Friday, November 27th. Black Friday, if you will, so I'm sure people will be inclined to shop. Support local if you're going to do it today. Um, but it is Friday here on the starting lineup on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. How you doing, man? Same old, same old. Uh, well, you know, Black Friday gets a lot of people excited. You know, for the amount of time we've been at home doing this show, you know, I'm sure like you, we get into a routine. My routine startled a little bit, and I, I won't get any answers probably for three hours. But as we prepare, only seconds ago, a door opens up behind me. My wife comes out with the dog, and I said, what are you doing? She goes, why? Hi. I go, it's 6 o'clock. You're kidding me. <laughs> so I don't know how my wife lost an hour, but she has now tried to go back to sleep for an hour before the day starts. But dogs are up and everything's going on crazy. I'm good. And then I go take out the recycling. There's the guy who's there every Friday, you know, to pick cans. But I'm not taking out recycling now. I'm still not supposed to touch anything or lift anything. And I almost feel like I should apologize to him going, hey, like, sorry, I'm not bringing anything out here now. Uh, so a lot going on in my world in the last seven minutes. Now I'm just focused on the show. I, I, I worry for your wife, Kathy, because I feel like <laughs> you might play this up for a few months. Like, I can't lift anything. I'm sorry, honey. I can't, I, you know, you're going to maximize this until like next June. You know, you know, the, you know, the coworker that you have that just, are you really hurt? Or, or the teammate yeah. that you've had, the beer league guy who's like, yeah, you know, my shoulder's just not right. You know, the person who lays the excuse when you're golfing, it's every time they had a bad shot, yeah, my just my knee's just not right these days, guys. Or mm -hmm. uh, my elbow's still, uh, the bursitis is uh, giving it to me again. Whatever it may you, be, you know. Yeah, you know me well, but I don't play that <laughs> card. Um, in fact, I'm probably worse because this is this is the third time in, in eight years I've had hernia surgery. We can always go back to me probably pushing it a little too hard. So I actually have been reprimanded and you get the doctor's sheet of going, here's what you have to do. And it does say for the first four weeks, you're not supposed to lift anything over, what, what does it say? Five kilos, 10 pounds, 11 pounds. Um, and I did go the other day to pick up the dog. For some reason, I thought the dog was like 12 pounds. I, I never paid attention when we were at the vet. And my daughter Hannah's going like that. She's like 19, 20 pounds. I go, really? She's fat then. Which she is, because she's always waiting for stuff. Um, so, no, I, I would, and um, I'm, I'm told I have to, because this is the number three time, and they're not necessarily thrilled that I'm going to the hospital as regular as I do. So, so I, even the Christmas lights is a conversation. Like, I don't even know how I'll handle that one. But I, I've been on a treadmill. I went for about 40 minutes on the treadmill yesterday while watching football. Uh, and you know what? I couldn't even stomach the Dallas Cowboys. My goodness gracious, if you're a Cowboys fan... 
I don't know what you're doing today. Just hopefully you're in a turkey comatose because the decisions that team makes, America's team has been a disaster for a long time, James, and it's not getting any better. You know, injuries are part of the game, and and in fairness to the Dallas Cowboys, injuries have absolutely demolished this team, right? I mean, you lose your number one quarterback. You know, you've lost – I can't even tell you how many many offensive linemen. Like, they're they're down to, like – the Band-Aid squad, right? You look at everything that this team's endured defensively. They've been hit with some big injuries. Um, but you're right. Like, they are – yesterday into that fourth quarter, like, just an absolute disaster. Like, why try – like, it's just a team that is just desperate. When you go for that on fourth and ten and you're that far back in your own end that early in the fourth quarter and it's what? You know, the game's within a touchdown at that point. Yeah, it's a four-point game. And that's what I don't understand. Yeah. It's just we are in such a world of analytics. Even when you're watching broadcasts, they go, oh, here's the situation. You know, 76% of the time you'll get this on fourth down. Well, earlier in the game, they have fourth and inches, and they throw it, and they might have got away with the pass interference. But at the end of the day, you're going, why would you throw it? I know you lost two great. Zach Martin was gone. Two big offensive linemen in the first quarter. It changes things. But – Quarterback sneak would have worked. It worked later on, but fourth and inches, they throw it. And then you're exactly right. You're down by four, 10 minutes left. You're inside your own 20. Not only do you call the fake punt with 10 yards to go, but the way you have it set up, it's essentially a reverse. So you give everyone on the Washington football team, and how many times did the announcers get caught not calling them Washington football team? But you give them that much more time to read it. I just... I don't know. It would have draw. I've got a buddy who's a massive Cowboys fan. Was no longer watching that game halfway through because he couldn't handle it. And you think of the money they gave Ezekiel Elliott, the money they've thrown away to a bunch of guys that just seem to have lost the zest to play. And then you bring in a coach who's got this Super Bowl ring, and he's supposed to be the guy. Jason Garrett probably had Thanksgiving dinner yesterday and said, "Ah, it wasn't that bad. Look what they're doing now. Everybody's watching. They're making some dumb calls." It's uh. It's tarnished that franchise for a while. That is right there with the Yankees when you talk about big American franchises and the love they have. Well, it's it, look. It's just it was appalling to look at how silly the Cowboys looked down the stretch in that fourth quarter, and then just got absolutely they looked checked out by the end, right? And just got run mm. over in that fourth quarter. But then you look at Detroit. You know, it's the same thing in the earlier game. You know, a, yeah. a team that looks like. You know, you're down by two touchdowns. There's four minutes to go. You have the ball. And it was almost like, you know what? You might as well just take a knee. Because there was absolutely zero, zero sense of urgency to try to get back into it. Like, if I was a Lions fan, I'd be steaming. Just watching it, like, just dink and dunk and dink and dunk. You went, what, six plays, 25 yards before you hit the two-minute warning. And you basically got to midfield. Like, you burn two and a half minutes off the clock when you take possession and you've done nothing, just letting the clock run. And it's like, you need another touchdown. Like, you need you need yeah. to score twice. Like, look, it was ambitious, but you know what? You know, there's still time on the clock. You know, you still got to go for it. And it was just essentially a team that looked so checked out by the play calling at that point. It was like, good grief. You know, I mean, COVID just kicking the ass of the NFL schedule yesterday. You took the biggest game off the schedule and moved that to Sunday. And it sounds like Lamar Jackson's got COVID. So, 
Sounds like mm-hmm. he may not even be involved for the game against the Steelers. But, I mean, two teams, or four teams, I should say, pair, that were a combined 13-27 and 27 going into the game yesterday. And they looked it. They looked it. I almost wonder sometimes, because who do we have yesterday? We had Tony Romo. Uh, Tony Romo up in the booth. We had Troy Aikman up in the booth. The other was, and you're so right because you go back to that Detroit game. Yeah, it's a long shot. I think they're down by 16, but there's four minutes left, and they are taking their sweet time, like literally. And there's Romo going. You should be able to get this off in the next five seconds. All right, that's too long. All right, that's way too long. I'm always thinking the team should just be listening to them and have a guy in headsets going, "Tell them to hurry up. We got to be faster," because it's like they're coaching up there. Aikman circling one-on-one. He goes, you know, I'd be taking a shot at this. They've got him one-on-one. You go, why are they not doing that? These guys are pros. They've seen it. They see it maybe a little bit differently, but you're right. So there's your audience listening to all this and going, you're kidding me. Like, where is the call? This was a stupid call, but I don't know. I guess maybe NFL coaches think they can outsmart everybody, but you didn't say the word, and we talked about it yesterday. But when you were talking about pro athletes, when you were talking about teams, and you get close to using the label of quitters, and both of them were close to that label, I think that's the biggest indictment you can put on a professional team and athlete. Yeah. Um, all right, so here's what else we got coming up over the next three hours this morning. Uh, Steve Rafford, Sports Interactions, Inside the Line, will join us uh, in just a few minutes here and pick some winners, hopefully try to get us paid this weekend in the NFL. Uh, Stephen Brunt will drop by at 7 o'clock. Coming up this weekend, Iron Mike Tyson steps back inside the ring for an exhibition fight against another guy who at one time was the best fighter pound for pound in the world and another guy who's a little over the hill and then some Roy Jones Jr. So Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. are going to fight this weekend on pay-per-view and we'll talk to Stephen Brunt about that coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. Also, we'll talk to uh, to Stephen about the fact that uh, reports coming down here this morning, Pear, that it sounds like the old Skydome, Rogers Center now in Toronto, it sounds like there are plans in place to finally replace the 30-year-old building and build a new outdoor grass stadium uh, in Toronto. And it sounds like it's all going to be with private money. So no public dollars here comparatively to what we saw, what, 10 years ago with BC Place being refurbished for a half a billion dollars of our own money. So that's an intriguing story there. Um and a lot of memories there. It's you know, it's funny. You look at Skydome over the years, like horrible place for baseball. But man, oh man, when that place first opened, like that was the shiny new stadium for about two years, and then the whole model of what stadiums look like completely changed. Yeah, you're right. It was kind of right at the end. Now you would have certainly spent more time and saw more events there than I did. I've only been to a couple of events there. Um, but uh, hey, if you want to do it with private money. I don't think anybody can say anything, right? It's, you know, the U.S., when they're always building stadiums, it seemed like the government was there. Yes, yes, this is the way we build community. This is going to be great for the economy. But I, I don't know. Is Rogers Center in need of it right now? I mean, if it's private money, that's great. We know which company owns that, so we're never getting a raise again. But that's all right. <laughs> um, do they, you know, do they, do they need it? I, I would say probably they were right, as you said, not on the cusp of anything new, on the cusp of change. Similar kind of to BC Place where, hey, big, big domes, domes, domes. We've spent a half billion to renovate BC Place. That's not going anywhere. But do you think it's a need in Rogers Center? 
Well, Rogers Center uh, or Rogers Arena, I, I, you know what? I would say yes. For Rogers Center in Toronto, it, it's time. It, it's it's not a good venue for baseball. It, it's too big. It's too cavernous. Um, I, I Look, I get from the climate control. I mean, Toronto can get cold. But, you know, at the same time, like, look at Boston. I mean, look at New York. Look at Cleveland, for that matter. You know, look at Chicago. They all play in outdoor stadiums, and it gets freaking cold there in April and in mm-hmm. October, and, and they all seem to find a way to deal, right? So I think, yeah, it just makes sense. Make it more of an intimate ballpark. I mean, the, the landscape has changed. It's a dated stadium. Uh, I think it is time for a change after 30-plus years uh, since that place opened in 1989. Uh, you look at what's happening here in Vancouver. I mean, I'll tell you what. Like, it, we haven't really talked about it a whole lot here in this market, but – you know, Rogers Arena here, I mean, it's getting old. And, you know, they've done a nice job of really keeping, you know, the, the gloss and the shine and the polish and, and keeping it cleaned up over the years. But it's a 25-year-old rink, and, you know, it's probably that time where I think internally there's probably some conversations going, like, what's the end game here for the home of the Vancouver Canucks? Because some people would tell you quietly, like, internally, I think structurally, I think it's starting to show some wear. I mean... Apparently that roof might need to be replaced at some point in time, right? Like, and I'm sure it's a little more than just replacing a few shingles like we do at our place. You know what I'm saying, Pear? Well, I, and I think they would have had those serious conversations because of all the buildings that have been put around it, right? Essentially that apartment and the condos that are right there attached to it. I don't think you're doing any of that until you're looking, obviously, engineers looking at the structure of it. I would think they had some hard conversations four or five years ago in looking at how they're developing and probably decided we will be good enough to run for the next 10 or 15 with this building. I would be surprised for it. And I guess we're there so much. I don't see it. Like I'm sure in the, you know, if you go around, you go that that's a little updated and maybe they make some changes. The problem would be when you go to the new rinks is you see a couple of, you know, a, a couple of levels of suites where you go, no, that's more money, more money. Now of all things, though, is not the time. That's, that's what I'm surprised with Rogers Center. That, okay, you're building now with the economy as it is right now. Uh, but I think I don't think we're going to have an arena talk for the next decade here. Um, you kind of see where you are on the totem pole, right? Who are the new ones that have opened up? Where do we sit? Um, you know, Saddle Dome will finally get their update, but I think that's 2023, 2024 before that's done. I don't think we see anything until the, you know, the 2030s before maybe they go, Rogers Arena's got to be changed. Yeah, I think there's. I think it's probably a few years off, at least at least a half decade before probably like legit conversations um, are had. But you know, it, it doesn't take long for suddenly a stadium to get dated and dated quickly, right? Like, look at the Saddle Dome. We talk about how dilapidated and how old that building is, but you know, pair that's you know mid '80s, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, that's kind of an old timer house now, right? Like that's mid eighties for the saddle dome. And, and here's a conversation for another day, though, James. Is it possible that sports could peak? I mean, everything in the world is going through a reset. You know, is sports always going to be this big? We talk about TV ratings down through these last eight months. We expect things to get back to normal. But we've tried to recheck society, resect, you know, what's important to us? Where are priorities? Will sports always get back or climb back to where it might have been four or five years ago when, you know, everything kind of stopped and the numbers and the ratings were crazy and you were paying exorbitant amounts of money so you could see your team 
or are we going to be there's a new generation coming on board we talk about how they don't worry about cable they'll watch stuff on their computer they don't want to sit in front and watch a sporting event for two and a half hours you were building those giant arenas because you were getting 50 60 000. i mean there's fifty thousand seats at bc place because at one point they needed that and they've needed it once in the last 10 years for the opening of the olympics so have we seen sports peak well we look back 50 years from now and go it was probably at its best around 2010 to 2015 but then as a pandemic approach it never got to those levels again i think it's a fair question i think affordability will have to have a big hand in it i think going forward right i mean you look Mm -hmm. generationally how many younger people were able to go you know how many of us went to games as kids because tickets were affordable you know what does that look like you know what does that look like in say another 15 years from now what's the price of the average canuck ticket right you know, I think back. Mm-hmm. I go tw- I go. I go back twenty years ago when I first came here, and I remember buying an ice pack, and it was about twenty five dollars a ticket for an upper bowl seat in, at at Rogers Arena, or GM Place at the time. And now here we are. What well, like, you know, maybe fifty bucks, right? Like, well, I think maybe fifty bucks is your starting point. I think up up top, like you know, prices have doubled for that. So, I guess it all. I think it depends on a price point for people going forward. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's a valid question. I would say this pair. The, the BC place, like that to me was a colossal waste of money because it's just a stadium that is just way too freaking big for this market. Way too big. Yeah, I would say this. You know, players been asked to take a pay cut because the owners aren't making money. The owners, obviously, we know they're not making money. At some point, when is that passed on to the consumer? Does everything go back to normal next October and you don't see a slash in ticket prices? I don't know if that's reading the room. And how tough is it for pro sports to go, we're actually going to bring the price of tickets down. That's the last thing they want to do, but it's something they may have to look at. We should also mention, hey, quickly, um, we haven't had a chance to mention this in the first, what, 15 minutes of the show, uh, and we are your home of the Canucks. Coming up at 8 o'clock this morning, we are going to basically steal the program's idea from a couple of days ago. We didn't like their draft, but we're going to do the Canucks all-time draft this morning, 8 o'clock. Uh, and we're going to add a couple of ringers to the fold. We're going to bring in Sportsnet 650 hockey analyst Corey Hurst to join the draft, and we're also going to be joined by Sportsnet hockey analyst John Garrett. So Cheech, Hershey, Solkowski, Sabalski, we're going to do our draft. Three forwards, two defensemen, and a goaltender, any former Canuck and current Canuck in play for our draft, and that's at your Canucks commute at 8 o'clock. More on that in just a little bit. Let's bring in Steve Rapp from Sports Interactions Inside the Line, Canada's odds maker, to weigh in and try to get us paid this weekend. Did you uh, have any sort of festive U.S. Thanksgiving yesterday afternoon there, Mr. Rapp? It is uh, my holiday. I know I don't speak highly of the U.S. very often, but uh, the Thanksgiving, U.S. Thanksgiving holiday is my holiday. And uh, I celebrated the whole thing. Usually have turkey dinner and everything, but, you know, we have a pandemic and all, so we, we didn't invite anybody over and stuff, trying to, do, trying to do the right thing. There's no better way to celebrate uh, two football games and a holiday by having the right fill for Mr. Rapp. I enjoyed the morning, not so much in the afternoon. How about you? I uh, tweeted out the winner in the uh, second game, the Washington game, only well, basically because it was a – pretty much a staple of what we do Sundays, better defense taking points and then in the division as well, taking points. So, uh, yeah, I like Washington uh, just because, you know, I've seen enough of Dallas over my lifetime watching Thanksgiving football to know that they're not trustworthy. Two uh, 
two wonderful coaching displays yesterday. The first one, uh, what was Matt oh. Patricia doing? What would he plan on doing with his three timeouts at the end of the first half when they uh. drove 60 yards down the field? Now it's, it's the end of the first half, and they still have three timeouts and didn't score because of the sack. So that's the first one. And and I go without saying the, the, the fourth and uh, ten punt from their own 30, which when asked afterwards, Mark McCarthy said, Oh, it's nothing wrong with the play call. It was well designed. It was a good play call. It just, yeah, but you did it fourth and ten down, four points in your own end, and a and a game for the division. It made, I mean, some coaching, too much turkey on the coaching staffs yesterday. I think, or COVID. Oh, you got it right. <laughs> well, four turkeys that were essentially on display yesterday at U.S. Thanksgiving with those four teams. The way that season's kind of played out. Let's dive into this weekend. Uh, let's start with the first one. You've got uh, the Vikings and the Panthers. You're eyeballing here. Yeah, Minnesota opened as a four-point home favorite sports interaction. Public tickets split in this one. The line did move towards Carolina. I knew it was that Teddy Bridgewater is probable. Odds makers made that worth about a half a point to my advantage. We now sit at three and a half. Uh, the Vikings had won three in a row before getting caught in a bad spot and fell asleep against the Cowboys team coming off a bye last week. Uh, Minnesota's Delvin Cook uh, leads all running backs in total yards. And he goes against the Panthers' run defense that ranks 25th in the league and second to last in defending running back coming out of the backfield catching passes. Teddy Two Gloves may be back for Carolina, but Christian McCaffrey will not be. Uh, the Vikings have been a good favorite under Mike Zimmer, going 41-23 and 23 against the spread under his reign and 41-21 against the spread in November and later. They usually take care of business against inferior teams. Panthers got a win against a sleeping Lions team. I don't think they find the Vikings sleeping here coming off a bad loss. Uh, I'm going to lay a three and a half in that one. Yeah, I like that call. Uh, you know, and it might have been you or not, but someone kind of thought if ever there was a game Minnesota might have some issues, it would have been last week against Dallas because of how well they played. Another team that got the spotlight last week, and, uh, you know, I appreciated how they played, was the Vegas Raiders. They're in Atlanta. What do you see there, Mr. Rapp? Yeah, and it's because of what they, one of the reasons is because of how they played last week is why I'm going to choose this game. And there are a couple of things that draw me to this matchup. The current number versus the opener and the and fading a big steam move here. This game open pick, but after the Raiders hung with the Chiefs and the Falcons threw a stinker in the Warlings, this line started to climb based on public perception. It now sits all the way Raiders minus three. Quite a big move, guys. Raiders on the road. I think that's too much uh, here. A potential let game down game for Las Vegas who threw everything they had at Kansas City just came up short on prime time and now travel is road chalk. The Falcons can score. It's pretty much the only thing they can do and don't usually have back-to-back offensive flops like they did last week. Uh, with a total of 54, this one should be a shootout. Last team with the ball may win. I like plus three in that situation. Uh, when the Falcons don't protect Statty Ryan like last week, we get a sleepy Atlanta result. The Raiders don't have the same type of pass rush. So I'm expecting Atlanta bounce back here. And finally, as I said, fading big steam moves. Basically, when a line continues to move because, because the public keeps betting it, it's known as steam. Fading that steam is hitting at 63% this, week, this season. Fade away. I like Atlanta plus three. Steve Rapp, Sports Interactions, Inside the Lines here on Sportsnet 650. All right, let's make it a triple. Uh, New Orleans, Denver. Yeah, this number stayed solid all week, guys. I'm saying it's a six-point road favorite in Denver. Public on the Saints, bigger bets on the Broncos. Number stays where it is, doesn't move. (laughs) This is a big number for a third-string starting quarterback to have to cover on the road, especially one of the toughest road environments to play, even without fans. I find it interesting that while Taysom Hill looked okay against the Sleeping Falcons defense, 
He was asked to lay only three and a half points at home. Now Hill and the Saints are asked to lay almost double that on the road. Uh, the jury's still out on Drew Locke, but they might be close to be coming back already. But his best performances have come at home, like last week in a surprise win against Miami, that late charge against the Chargers a few weeks ago. Broncos defense completely confounded two and the, Maya, and the Miami offense last week. And the offense, uh, so only putting up 20 points, Denver did rank up, rack up 459 yards of offense against a pretty good Dolphins defense. I don't think this number's right based on last week's number, so I'm going to take Denver plus the six. Ooh. Jeez. I don't know. I have a tough one with that one. Hey, how about that Drew Brees last week, eh? Or not Drew Brees, Drew Brees. Uh, Philip Rivers, your guy. Oh, uh, you know, you had, well, what, uh, in my defense, <laughs> I will say that, that Philip Rivers' fantasy guys should have warm and fuzzies that I'm going against Philip Rivers because I actually think he personally does it just to get back at me. I don't know how it's possible. He knows who I am, but I really think he does. But I don't know if you've heard of the show. We have a joke. We have a side of the show that I say Philip Rivers is never getting the Hall of Fame. Dave and George say that Philip Rivers is definitely getting the Hall of Fame. I've said if he ever gets in the Hall of Fame, I'll order up a wheel trans, which is how they take old people places, and we will go. I'll take him to Canton today because it'll never happen. Hey, I know it's not one of your games on the schedule, but uh, take a quick look at uh, Brady and Mahomes, uh, Chiefs and Bucks uh, coming up Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's that extra half a point, the three and a half for Tampa yeah. Bay, uh, it makes it a little interesting to me. I mean, Mahomes has struggled against good front lines. I mean, it's tough to say Mahomes ever struggles. It's tough to go against Mahomes at any time. But his worst performances this year have been up against teams that can pressure. The Tampa Bay front seven can pressure. And this isn't primetime. Tom Terrific has looked horrible on primetime this year. I, I have a feeling that, that uh, they might keep this one close. And, and, and if you can get that three and a half, grab it now. It is three and a half in sports interaction right now. But I do see threes on the board, so that number might move. So if you like that point, I would grab that now. All right. There you go. Have a great weekend, my friend. Uh, Thanks, stay Steve. safe out there. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. Enjoy your rest of your U.S. Thanksgiving, uh, Canadian people in Vancouver. There you go. So we call it Black Friday, essentially, for uh, for most people here. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Take care, Val. Uh, there he is, Steve Rapp, Sports Interactions, Inside the Lines. You can catch it Sunday morning, 7 a.m., getting you all set for Sunday's action in the National Football League. All right, 26 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this Friday morning. He's Perry Selkowski. I'm James Cebulski, 650-650, the Dunbar-Lumber text line. And coming up in a moment, the World Junior Hockey Championship still set to go next month in Alberta. But I think it's time to change that, time to shut it down. We'll get into that next right here on Sportsnet 650. You know, I was like to take this opportunity to talk about myself. Seaball says on Sportsnet 650. All right, it is a Canadian holiday tradition, the World Juniors, an event that attracts monstrous numbers of Canadians who watch the event annually. We've always loved hockey in this country. But it's next level when we throw a red and white maple leaf on the jersey. Oh man, the World Juniors, they have only increased in popularity over the last 30 years. It is a multi-million dollar moneymaker when this country hosts it with sellout crowds and NHL rinks. 
the International Ice Hockey Federation sees the value in Canada hosting, which is why the tournament has been on home soil six times since 2009. Even Vancouver has played party host twice in the last 15 years with this tournament. But at this point, you know, we're still looking at continuing this holiday tradition in about a month from now, but for how much longer is this idea realistic? With COVID-19 wreaking havoc all over the world, is it prudent to invite a large group of people from nine other countries into our country at this point? We're seeing and hearing about record numbers of positive cases day after day in recent weeks, and yet the World Juniors are still a go at this point in time. Look at what we've seen with Team Canada's selection camp. This week alone, after a staff member and two players tested positive, the entire Canadian squad has been placed under a two-week quarantine. This is in a province that is under a state of emergency at the moment. The World Juniors are set to be held inside a similar bubble in Edmonton like the one held during the Stanley Cup playoffs earlier this fall. And the NHL, they pulled it off flawlessly. But at the time the NHL resumed to play on August 1st, the daily case count in this country on August 1st was 287. Four months later, they're over 5,000 daily. Can a bubble still hold off from being compromised right now? Hockey Canada just showed that they couldn't handle it with just one team. So how can this be sustainable with nine more groups set to arrive in just a few weeks from nine different countries from around the world, which, by the way, seven of those are among the hardest-hit countries with affections globally, including atop the power rankings, the United States, and Russia, that's fifth overall, with our own provincial and federal leaders insisting to all of us right now that we maintain our distance. Stay away from your friends right now. Stay away from your other family members outside of your own household. What sort of message are we sending when the organizers can't even keep control of just one squad? And think about this. Not only do we have a hard time protecting the Canadian teens right now, but we as a country are having a hard enough time managing Zoom calls with public health officials. Thank you, Ms. Cunningham. Thank you, Dr. Tom Bateman. Time to transcript. Oh, hi there. I'm worried that uh, I'm here. Hang on one sec, folks. <laughs> that is not me. Yeah, that, remember that earlier this week. Look, the World Juniors may be a holiday tradition but it's one that needs to be shelved for a year while we take care of ourselves and business within our own communities. And that's Seaball says this morning here on this Friday, November 27th. Paul, question is that, should we postpone or should we cancel the World Juniors? It should be uh, right now 55% say yes, 44%, 45%. I guess we rounded up say no. Uh, I had a conversation yesterday with an executive from the Western Hockey League, and this was obviously part of the topic about how they'll bounce back and do you think the tournament goes? He, like many others, boy, I, I enjoy the tradition. It would be nice to have a little sense of normalcy for the sports fans during the holiday season, but it came to at what cost? At what cost? Team Canada is going to likely make some cuts in the next 48 hours based on what? 
based on a handful of scrimmages and watching some kids play hockey, which the last relative games and importance would have been last March. Difficult to do. Plus, you've just had all these kids together for the last two weeks. Say you're quarantining and they'll go, hey, by the way, thanks. You've, you've done the quarantine, but you're not going to play hockey for us. And James, to your point, now you're going to open up everybody and tell them to come when we've never been in a situation. BC just had their highest days. The numbers in Alberta are, are outrageous. And we don't know the long-term effects of all this. And, and here's the thing that, that kind of scares me the most. And, you know, there's lawsuits going on, and we've all dealt with it before. You realize how much money is made in junior hockey off the kids who aren't being paid. And you wonder how loud their voice is. And sure, they want to play, man. They're 18, 19. This is their dream. But at what cost? I hope the adults... It's like wrestling, pal, and I hate to bring it to wrestling, but you love it. It's like, you know the guy's going to win, but how many times is is he down and the ref's got the one, the two, and the hand's about to hit the mat, and he gets off at the mat. Oh, it wasn't the three count. I think Hockey Canada's trying to survive, but at some point it's got to be the three count, and they're going to have to pull the plug. Look, I mean, I, I totally get it. I mean, it is a massive cash cow for Hockey Canada. But, I mean, look at Hockey Canada just like went through this week, right? Like they couldn't even take care of their own with, mm-hmm. with their own selection camp right now. Like the entire bubble or, or their entire team got compromised that everybody's in isolation and quarantine right now. You know, two players, a staff member. I mean, Michael Dick earlier this week, the, the head coach of the Vancouver Giants is an assistant. Like he's had, and now he's had multiple negative tests, but, you know, he's still, you know, shut down. He's isolated for, for two weeks. Right. I mean, now yep. the whole team is and until early December. And so are, are like it just I also think of the optics pair that, you know, here in the province of Quebec is basically telling everybody, look, guys, you know, Christmas is on the line here. if We don't get a handle on this in the next couple of weeks. Right. I mean, Dr. Bonnie here. I mean, Dr. Bonnie was almost sounding like the, the closest thing that she'll get to sounding like stone cold telling people I got no time for people who, who don't want to wear masks. But, you know, the instructions, we've got two hundred and thirty dollar fines out there here telling people to tighten it up. And, you know, we can't go have any social gatherings of any kind outside of our household right now. Right. I mean, sports have been shut down here. And like, what's the optic to say, hey, look. You know, you probably, like, if Christmas was this weekend, you probably couldn't have Christmas dinner with, you know, a sibling's family and your parents coming over. Like, that would kind of be a no-no in the eyes of what our our leaders are telling us right now. Mm -hmm. And yet, we're willing to say, all right, Russia, U.S., Czech Republic, Finland, Sweden, Austria. Man, I covered the World Juniors for six years. But it's a bad look right now when all of our provincial health officials are telling us to stay home, tighten it up, and then you're going to bring all these people into a bubble that, pair, the NHL pulled it off, but, man, like, there were no cases. Like, at that time, like, think about even in our province. We were down to, like, seven or eight cases a day in the summer. Now we're talking about almost 900 yesterday. You're so right. It was the best-case scenario. I mean, really – are, are we thinking people should be going to the convention center and you can have a convention for 300 people right now? Because that's kind of what you're doing with the World Juniors. You're kind of telling people to come all over the world and gather, bring your 50, 55 people that you need that travel with you, and we're going to stay at one place. I don't think we would be welcoming that going, oh, by the way, there's a uh, lawyer convention 
at the convention center. They're all going to stay there, but they're coming from all over the world to gather, but they'll just stay inside that bubble and we'll be okay. No, not necessarily the case. So um, to your point, in the summertime, we seem to have control over this. You're seeing the Baltimore Ravens. They've shut down their facility where money is not an issue. Uh, and it will be for some of these other federations. I mean, who knows what's going on in, in, in the other parts of the countries right now where these teams are getting ready. Those kids are going to jump together. But, you know, what have they been for the last two weeks? And it stays dormant. I just don't know how much of a voice the players get. And all these decisions, it's always the officials. Are there some kids going, yeah, I don't know if I want to be around this. And are their parents going, well, what's the situation? There's, this may not be the smartest place to be. Tough decisions. I can understand the calendar allows them to wait it out. But at some point, and I think that'll be in early December, they're going to have to make a call on this. And why would you not err on the side of caution and cancel it? Just make it a list of all the other tough things we've had to do. Cancel the World Juniors. It just it just seems like it is the right thing to do at this point in time where, look, I, I can see the NHL having way more financial resources to at their disposal to try to pull this off. And I just think right now, looking at where the world juniors are from a hockey Canada standpoint with the province of Alberta and where they're at, they're absolutely reeling right now. It is not the right answer to pull this tournament off with all these young Canadian teams. All right. 642, uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Love to get your perspective on this. How do you feel about the idea? Are you still okay with the idea of the world juniors? Do you need that, this content here for the holiday season as this holiday tradition? Uh, coming up in a moment, Pear, uh, no more BS, right? No more BS, just PS. And Mike Tyson is jumping back into the ring tomorrow, and you will not believe how he is promoting his fight and how he ingrained it with New Year, with Thanksgiving yesterday in a way only Mike Tyson can do. Makes me cringe. That's ahead. You got it, James Perry. Starting lineup, Sports at 650. It's all P.S. No B.S. right here on the starting lineup. Yeah, let's get into it. You know, in this world, it's tough to figure out what's real, what's true. I will do it for you. This is no B.S. It's all P.S. And P.S., man, Mike Tyson is interesting. I was that guy. My weekends when he was fighting, I probably gave more money to Mike Tyson to watch his fight than any other athlete when it came to pay-per-view. Am I going to do it tomorrow? I'm thinking about it. But then I realize Mike Tyson now and how different he is. Have a listen to this commercial. It's Mike Tyson and his kids. Tyson carving up what is a fixture of Roy Jones Jr. head rather than a turkey. What's this? It's a turkey. Dad, it's not a turkey. Yes, he is. No, it's not. Well, I like ears. What would you like? Fine, I'll take the nose. I guess I'll take the head. Dad, this is delicious. I thought it would be. Mm-hmm, real good. Tastes so much better than a bandage. I'll politely pass. Roy tastes real good. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. You know, I love people that can be self-deprecating, James, and make fun of themselves. But the guy did bite someone's ear. Like, you went full Hannibal Lecter, man. I don't know if there's any way you can laugh at that. 
I, I, yeah, I mean, watching that yesterday, it was, it was. I don't know if anybody like listening to it. It doesn't. The audio doesn't do the visuals justice because of like this. I don't know. Was it a cake? It's a but cake, like this, I think, like of Roy this, Jones this Jr.'s edible dead. head of and a horrible mold of Roy Jones Jr. And then it ends later where it's they put it on the ground and open the head up, and it's like all kind of red inside. And the dog it's like a velvet over. cake, right? It's red velvet cake. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And then the dogs eating it, and it's just like, ugh. I don't know, man. Like, you know, there are some people that can sell that, you know, in terms of, you know, cutting a good interview and selling the fight. If that was an attempt to sell the fight, I don't know, man. It was a miss. Tyson just yeah. kind of got by. Less was more with Tyson back in the day, right? Like, are, like, let me ask you this. Are you going to order this thing? I've thought of it, but that would have pushed me away. Here's the only thing I'm curious with. This guy's still unstable. Is he going to do something crazy in the ring tomorrow? Like, could be. Does he think that's his shtick now? I don't know. Well, now there's other talk. We'll talk to Stephen Brunt about this coming up in a few minutes, but there's some talk that this might kind of reboot some form of a fighting career for Mike Tyson, depending on how he fares this weekend. Well, it's possible. I mean, there's always someone who would look at it. Hey, P.S., boy, this is a sad statement in the world we're in. A gentleman who works at a funeral parlor in Buenos Aires has been fired from his job. Can you guys help me pick a filter? I don't know if I should go with XX Pro or Valencia. I want to look tan. What should my caption be? I want it to be clever. How about living with my bitches, hashtag live. I only got 10 likes in the last five minutes. Do you think I should take it down? Let me take another selfie. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you know where I was going. Works at a funeral parlor. Apparently took a selfie as he was preparing the body of Diego Maradona as it lay in state. Um, an English tabloid obtained the picture, but they have refused to post it. At least for now, that is the story there. So, as of course, an English tabloid would get a copy of. Like, man, they like those guys are the worst. I know to say that they're not going to post it. You know what was interesting yesterday, and there were some some issues too with police. You could see a live stream of the number of people that were going in to see the body. They expect over a million people were there. And it kind of got unruly, too, that they have to kind of get people organized. Uh, we knew it would be, you know, we were there talking about the story. But uh, that's one of the things where I find social media is good. You can actually see the amount of people and how this is, you know, just he's devastated. The news devastated the country of Argentina. He was the legit hero of that country. And as I said, millions of people. And they're just waiting and waiting and waiting so they can come in and pay their respects to Diego Maradona. We, we talked to Bob Lenarduzzi yesterday and asked him who his, uh, you know, his top three greatest players of all time were. He had Maradona at number one, Pele two, and George Best at number three. Um, you know, Maradona, flawed <laughs> off the pitch, but man, just an absolute magician on it. Uh, P.S. J.J. Watt was a difference maker in the morning game yesterday in Detroit. Against Carolina, they put up seven. Oh, it's JJ who pulls it down and takes it home. My goodness, he makes another huge play on Thanksgiving. Man, he's been great in Thanksgiving. And JJ Watt is a guy who cares about his community. You, you go back to Hurricane Katrina and everything he was doing in Houston and the money that he raised. So, JJ Watt, very smart yesterday. He posted that call of him getting the touchdown, the interception, and going in for six. And simply said, reservation for six, please. With masks, properly distanced, and outside. 
throw the turkey to your neighbor. Don't do it with the pie. So Watt having some fun and his great play there and then reminding everybody we're in a panic here. We're in a pandemic. If you're going to make a reservation, have your mask, keep yourself away, do it all outside. Good on J.J. Watt. He, uh, You know, it's his brother who's probably had a better year with Pittsburgh right now, but J.J. Watt is still that player and still understands the platform he has and did it with some fun yesterday. Done, done a lot of good in the last, like, think of the money he raised, you know, for the city of Houston when they got yeah. absolutely walloped by Harvey a, a few years ago. Um, when healthy, though, man, he can still be a disruptive force out there. Yeah, that is uh, all P.S. everybody. No B.S. on this Friday morning. 6.53 here on uh, this Friday morning. He's Perry. I'm James. Uh, coming up at 7 o'clock, we'll catch up with Stephen Brunt. Uh, as we mentioned, Mike Tyson set to step back inside the ring this coming weekend. Also reports out east that uh, looks like Skydome. Yeah, Rogers Center set to be uh, uh, the end of an era. Might be closer than you think as uh, it sounds like a new ballpark uh, might be uh, going up in the not-too-distant future for the home for the Toronto Blue Jays outdoor grass stadium. Plus, uh, the World Juniors. Can they pull this off or not? That's all still ahead right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Third down and six right up the gut. That is Gibson, and he is gone. Third of the ball game for the rookie Antonio Gibson. And that is a knockout blow here in Arlington, Texas. These guys are here to break it all down. Uh, he's accountable. There's, honestly, there's not a bad word you say about the guy. I mean, you hit a home run. I mean, the Vegas did not want to get rid of this guy. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. You play to win the game. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski. Seven o'clock. What's going on? Hour number two of the starting lineup here on this Friday morning. James Sabolski, Perry Solkowski. A reminder that this hour is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Buda Street in Vancouver or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. Good reminder as we kind of hit Black Friday today for people that are in search of a deal. You know what? Good opportunity to kind of support the local guys here at a time like this. Pair, um, Stephen Brunt's going to join us here momentarily, but we should also remind people in one hour from now, your Canucks commute coming up at 8 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. We are going to do the all-time Canuck draft. Yeah, we're stealing walks and sats and Bick's idea from a few days ago, but we decided we'd go to the bullpen and get a couple of heavy hitters to join the draft as well. John Garrett, Sportsnet hockey analyst, and Corey Hirsch, Sportsnet 650 hockey analyst, two former Canucks, will join the draft. We're going to do a snake draft, three forwards, 2D, and a goaltender, and that's coming up in an hour from now. Yeah, and jump on the uh, Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. So there's four of us. So give us your top four Canucks so we can see it. We don't know the order of the draft, who we'll be picking. But if you've got four Canucks, give us your top four. I will look at that and see if we can get the listeners to kind of sway me as to what my team will look like. Because I'm that guy on the draft floor that's always looking for a deal one way or the other. So if you've got who you would do, your top four, which way they go, we'll see if those are the four that uh, Hershey, you, and Cheech and I uh, select. Listen, there's the thing is, when you look at the history of the Canucks, it's okay where we're coming up with three forwards, 2D, and a goalie. I'm glad we're not putting the full team together because it's easy to find 10 guys, and then you start going, okay, so where should this guy be? Uh, 
it's a little challenging when you haven't had the great history, three Stanley Cup runs in the 51 years here. But it should be fun. Might oh, I be think, some interesting names or it'll be normal. I, I think up front it'll be no problem. I think the, the the intriguing part for me is how everybody approaches the blue line here, right? Because if you ask for your top five greatest defensemen in Canucks history, I think if you ask 10 people, you'd have probably 10 different lists, right? It's not a roll call of you know, list of heroes and greats and legends and Hall of Famers along the way. So, uh, yeah, so well, that's coming up uh, here, 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Be curious, if you had the first, you know, if you got the first overall pick, who are you taking? Who are you taking right now? Like, I'll tell you what, Pedersen and Hughes went pretty high in the uh, the program's draft earlier this week. Like, where do these guys land here when we get going in an hour from now? So uh, that's coming up. Uh, all right, Stephen Brunt scheduled to join us here uh, in a matter of moments. Is is Stephen with us here now? No, not yet. Okay, all right. Know, just uh, making sure here. He's going to join us uh, momentarily. As uh, a lot of things percolating in the world here this morning, pair. Uh, Mike Tyson set to step back inside the ring uh, for an exhibition fight against Roy Jones Jr. coming up this weekend. And I, I wonder, like, where does this go from here? Right? Is this just a one-off where? You know, if this has some legs to it, you know, there's already some talk that there's pay-per-view records already for the buy, the early buys, and people are jumping on board on this. Um, also, some other issues to get into with Stephen. Uh, reports this morning that it looks like uh, the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be getting a new home here. Um, and so that's just around the corner as well. And then the World Juniors. Like, is it really makes sense to pull off this tournament here, which gets underway in less than a month from now? to drop the puck in Alberta after everything that we've been seeing where we're getting cases over 5,000 a day? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think Hockey Canada wants to make a decision like that. That is our poll question, too, with Sportsnet 650. Let us know. We're kind of split right now. But do you think that they should go ahead with the World Juniors? So we'll we'll see if we get that. But I believe we – I think Stephen is, is ready now. Stephen, good morning. You there? Hey, Barry. How you doing? Oh, it's Hello. a Friday, my friend. Uh, so it's a good one. Hey, did you see we were playing it earlier? Did you see that promo that Mike Tyson did a la Thanksgiving carving of Roy Jones? Yeah, I did. It was, uh, yeah, it was fun. Um, yeah, it might be the best part of this thing, but uh, it was fun. It was, it was, it was a hoot. Let's, uh, let's, let's, okay. I mean, from the, from the Mike Tyson standpoint here, like, where does this go from here, Stephen? Like, is this, is this just a one-off or is this the possibility of maybe something more than just this? Uh, I think it's this, you know, it's, it's an exhibition. Um, I, I, you know, by definition, it's an exhibition. They're fighting eight two minute rounds with 12 ounce gloves. You know, Roy Jones Jr. is the other half of it. So it's worth mentioning him too. a guy yeah. who was at one point the best pound for pound fighter in the world. But um, it's two guys in their 50s. Roy Jones has been more active, you know, over the last uh, 20 years, um, <laughs> although kind of in a diminishing <laughs> returns. Right. He's he turned into kind of an almost an opponent fighting guys uh you know his his last great fight was probably the first antonio tarver fight that was 2003 i was gonna say almost so, 20 years ago yeah so you're but he kept fighting he hasn't fought for a few years but he did keep going uh in you know kind of obscure fights against obscure guys i guess he needed the money i i, I can't reach any other conclusion and tyson the last we saw him a long time ago was quitting against kevin mcbride you know, quitting on his stool so yeah, I know a lot of people got excited by the Tyson workout video in the spring uh, when he was hitting the pads and he looked fast and 
throwing combinations, but I, the notable part about that was no one was hitting them back. Uh, so, look, I, 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 I think I I'm, hope they make money. Um, I'm always all for fighters making money. And uh, I think this, it's like, it, it's the same thing I, I said going into the Mayweather-McGregor fight. Obviously a different animal, but, you know, buyer beware. Um, don't imagine things are going to happen that probably aren't, and don't imagine it's going to be, you know, 1980s Mike Tyson versus 1990s Roy Jones. Um, it's two old guys trying to make some money, and I, 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 I'm not sure if they'll try and just carry each other through this. I'm not sure um, how much bad intent will be involved, but you know, step right up. That's uh, <laughs> that. It's it's not like that hasn't happened in boxing before. Well, and Stephen, we're kind of of the same vintage, and I probably spent more money watching Tyson fights than anybody else. And in a week when we uh, look at, at, at the genius was Maradona and just on what he did on the pitch and kind of go, well, certainly had his fault. Boy, there's there's more than a few as to what Mike Dice, Tyson did away from the ring. But what we will see, and we have since this, as you all of a sudden you start looking at some old footage, just in the squared circle, in the boxing ring, what was Mike Tyson? Where do you view him? You're such a great boxing historian. Like When you look at Mike, what do you think of as far as what he was as a fighter? Well, I saw him fight live 20 times. I went back and added it up. So that's a lot, um, starting yeah. with his ninth pro fight and ending with the Lennox Lewis fight in Memphis. So I probably I saw his entire career, I, and I covered him more thoroughly than I covered anybody. Um, so... And there were moments during that when I thought he was, you know, um, you know, a combination of things, you know, in terms of speed and power uh, and aggression. And, you know, he was technically really, really good. And he obviously he could he had punching power that I thought, boy, this is a historically great heavyweight I'm watching. And, you know, especially looking back, but when things changed for him and what he wasn't was a guy who. When when guys weren't intimidated against him, when they when they fought back, um, when they stood up to that uh, that initial rush and weren't beaten before they got inside the ropes, you know he he struggled. And you know in part that maybe was because he didn't train the way he did as a young fighter, and you know some of the desire got sapped out of him. But uh, you know you can go back even to a fight like the Bone Crusher Smith fight, which is you know kind of in his prime. Yeah, where. Bone Crusher just kind of surrendered for most of the fight, didn't punch back. But the, the one time he hit him, he rocked Tyson. And, you know, he never, you know, Mike was sensational against, you know, Tyrell Biggs and Larry Holmes and Michael Spinks, you know, all, mm -hmm. all through that stretch. But unlike other people who I would label as kind of historic greats, he never came from behind to win a fight, ever. You know, once True. things started to go badly for him, he, he either kind of accepted it in a way like he did in the Lennox Lewis fight or he tried to get himself out of there like he did in the second Holyfield fight with the ear now, fighter and the now, Steven, you know, Lou Savarese fight, right? Tried yeah, to get himself disqualified about sure. five different times. But you, you look at you look at Tyson in some respects where, I mean, this week we talk about flawed characters and, and Diego Maradona, who we lost a few days ago at the age of 60. 
I mean, Tyson was a little bit of that train wreck outside of the ring as well. Like, it was all kind of once Customato died, right? I mean, there was this mystique, well, and, and, and Tyson was yeah. everything, and then everything kind of went sideways with, you know, the, the much-publicized marriage with Robin Givens, and then it was just, you know, and then, like, the Douglas fight happened, and obviously, you know, he was convicted of rape, went to prison, comes back, the Peter McNeely, like, it just became a circus after this. Well, yeah, let's start with the fact he's a convicted rapist, right? Like, yeah. let's put that on the table because that's yeah. that's that's not, you know, Diego Maradona wasn't that. And a no. lot of people we talk about as kind of bad guys weren't that. But he was convicted of rape, and he served three years of his six-year sentence in the, in, in, a, in a state prison in Indiana. Uh, and I covered the trial. So, you know, he was rightfully rightly convicted in that trial. Um, a better defense lawyer might have got him off, but that doesn't mean – he wasn't guilty, so let's 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 put that on the table. And I, you know, look, I think the one thing you've got to watch is the, you know, there's this con- kind of convenient myth that you know when Cus died, the kindly old white guy who saved him from prison, that everybody else exploited him. Everybody exploited him, like everybody exploited him, including Cus. They all all they ever wanted him to be was a fighter. They didn't care about him particularly as a human being, and. Um, there, you know, there were a series of people who came through his life: Customato, then Jim Jacobs, who also died, and Bill Caton, and then Don King. And it's easy to say Don King's the bad guy in this, and that's when Tyson went haywire. But there were a whole lot of people who had precious little interest in Mike Tyson, the human being, and only had interest in him as a money-making fighter. And I think that's almost everybody in his life. So that doesn't excuse him, especially for what happened in Indianapolis. Um, but there's a, there's, you know, there's kind of a there's a consistency to this story. It, you know, it wasn't like it took a bad turn in some place. It, it, I think the story is one long story that was all the same. So are you looking forward tomorrow? To tomorrow? Will you rent it? Will yeah, you go I'll, see that? I'll watch it. You know, um, like I, I, I don't go in with any expectations whatsoever. It's, uh, you know, look, the, the, look, the, the semifinal in this, this fantastic pay-per-view card is a, a creep from YouTube versus a former NBA player. Um, that yeah. tells you something, right? <laughs> uh, you know, this this is not – but, you know, what do you – it's it's entertainment. Um, you, you, you want to argue about the legitimacy of it, I guess you could. But it's it's a diversion in the middle of a pandemic. You know, it, no one's going to be forced to watch it. You aren't going to be forced to pay for it. But when you, if, if you go in and kind of view it as a curiosity and on a Saturday night when you, you can't go out to a bar uh, – it's not gonna, no one's going to get hurt, and I don't think either the two guys in the ring are going to get hurt. You know, S- Stephen Brunt with us here on Sportsnet 650. You know, you touch on something that, you know, the fact that Tyson is a convicted rapist, and yet somewhere in the last 10 to 15 years, he's become a bit of a, a lovable or sympathetic figure in pop culture again, at least in the eyes of mm-hmm. some, right? Like there are some people that will he- not get past – where Tyson's at, but I think if you go back to that movie, The Hangover, and that scene where he's kind of air drumming to the in the air tonight, and all of a sudden, like he oh he's done his spoken words, like you know, Stephen, I think back a few years ago, there was a very publicized interview that a colleague of ours in Toronto had conducted with Tyson, and had brought up um, you know the fact that he had been convicted of rape, and Tyson kind of lashed out at him. You know, and called yep. him a piece of crap, and and, and and a lot of people defended Tyson. Like, why would you go down this road? And, and like, it's a legitimate part of of Tyson's history, and yet, you know, Tyson has become like 
you know, he endorses stuff now. Like he's, you know, a featured guest. He's, you know, there's shirts and people, you know, rep Mike Tyson gear again. How has he kind of rehabbed his image in your mind? You know, it's amazing. And yeah. you know, I've thought about that. I have Especially thought about that Especially in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And I, well, it's timing, you know, timing is everything, I guess, to some degree. And I, I, you know, I thought about this, like there were many moments when I thought, well, that's the end of the guy. Like no one will ever, no one is ever going to want to see this guy again. Right. And obviously the big one was the trial in India, but that, you know, that trial wasn't on television. It wasn't like OJ. No. So unless you were actually in the courtroom, you didn't see it. And there are lots of people who, you know, who afterwards decided that he'd been railroaded having not actually seen the trial. Um, so there was a bit of denial even in the moment. But, you know, after that, you know, then you had the, you know, the ear bite and the I want to eat your children stuff. And, you know, people were repelled by him. Uh, but, you know, memories like this, this is the most remarkable, again, I'm saying remarkable, not like it's necessarily a good thing, uh, but a remarkable case of a guy getting a second act. Um, you know, I, like, I don't think Bill Cosby's getting a second act, you know, and I, I don't think yeah. Harvey Weinstein's getting a second act. Um, but it's almost as that, though, either people don't have a memory of that or... You know, there was the James Toback documentary and the spoken the, the the stage show that he did and the Hangover and Mike Tyson mysteries and all of this stuff that turned him into this kind of benign kind of cartoon figure, and so that combined with some you know nostalgia, 1980s nostalgia, I guess maybe. Uh, it it just it it's amazing how it erased what if if it happened today, um, if that trial had happened, it was happening right now. Um, I, I don't think Mike Tyson would ever have been turned into yeah. this kind of cuddly, comical figure. It's uh, there's no, I don't think there's any chance. Right, you'd be done with them. There's too many people with memories. I can remember where I was, Pinklin Thomas, the Spinks fight, who I was with. There's just so many things, and and there's so many people. You're right, James. In the world of retro and Mike Tyson shirts that are around, he's there. Uh, Steve, before we go, there's a lot of things going on, um, especially now with our parent company, that it might be mm-hmm. time uh, to get rid. Of and put a new baseball stadium and and get rid of Rogers Center. Your thoughts? Is this the right time? Is this unexpected? It's uh, the timing is kind of interesting, you know, because we're in the middle of a pandemic and a economic uh, crisis to some degree. But um, at, by the way, credit to Andrew Willis, the Globe and Mail, who broke the story, um, and is uh, a great reporter, guy I've worked with before. So he broke the story that they are negotiating to. Yeah, build a new ballpark, develop the area around the of uh, the Rogers Center in Toronto. Uh, maybe build the ballpark there. Maybe build it somewhere else. It's the Rogers Center is an old stadium, the way we think of it now. Not old like Wrigley or Fenway, but but you know, aside from those, you know, the oldest stadium in baseball. Not much you can do with it to retrofit it. They, I know they've looked at it, um, and uh, I you know it's, this is a kind of a colossal real estate play because I don't think they're going to be able to ask for. Uh, public money. The you know the Rogers Center cost in 1989 dollars what 600 million dollars in 1989 dollars. Rogers bought it for 25 million bucks, so they got a pretty good deal on it. That the 600 million was public money, um, but I think this is going to involve land swaps and development, commercial development, residential development. And uh, I'll tell you one thing: it does speak. You know, if anybody had any doubt about the Rogers commitment to sports. And to the Jays uh, and to sports content, uh, I think if they go out and drop what's probably going to cost a billion dollars on a new stadium, I, I think that question would be answered. 
Well, Stephen, your Christmas bonus has now been eliminated to cover. There's uh, that too. The yeah, upper bowl yeah, as that well. too. <laughs> uh, hey, yeah. listen, we, uh, we're just up against the clock here, but I, I got to ask you just quickly here while we have a moment. Uh, you help Brian Burke with his book, Burke's Law. Um, I, mm-hmm. I'm I've absolutely loving it. I know Perry's reading a Very copy good. of it as well. Uh, what was uh, what stood out the most working with Berkey with uh, with that book? I had a ball doing it. Um, oh, dad. He is a. Yeah, he's a he's a he was a great guy to work with. He's incredibly disciplined and incredibly hardworking, among other things. So it it was he's quite a taskmaster. We didn't miss any deadlines. I'll tell you that we were early <laughs> for everything. And uh, you know, look, we don't agree about everything on earth. Um, we never have over the years. But you know, you develop a really interesting relationship with somebody when you're going through their life. And you know, we had to talk about some tough stuff there. You know, some of it was fun, and some of it was hard because of. We know what Brian went through, especially losing his son. Um, so, you know, you develop a kind of intimacy with someone in that circumstance that you wouldn't in any other way. And I really value the experience. I, uh, it's, uh, I hope people seem to like the book. I think it's true to Brian. I think it sounds like Brian, which yes. is my job. Um, but, you know, but <laughs> Lots of F-bombs. All, all to, <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a few. We, I think we counted them. I think he decided how many we could have and not have. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's true, by the way. But... Uh, but yeah, no, good for him. You know, it's hard to lay yourself out there and tell your own story that totally. way and, uh, take some guts. Yeah. You know, it's a fascinating read for everybody. So many Vancouver connections to how Berkey is and how his, his life with the media started under Pat Quinn, who didn't want to, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen, thanks for this. Um, enjoyed the Tyson fight. It's uh, it'll be an interesting weekend. That's for sure. It's kind of fun to go back, uh, down memory lane for what he was in the ring because he was as intimidating as anybody who's ever strapped on a pair of gloves. And I don't know what we'll see tomorrow night, but I'll probably lean that way and make the decision and uh, see what he's up to when he gets into the yeah, it's probably Appreciate not it. The, Have yourself a good weekend. Stay safe out there. See you guys. Tim. There he is, Stephen Brunt, uh, Sportsnet colleague, uh, weighing in on Tyson Jones this weekend, uh, a new stadium potentially for the Toronto Blue Jays, and much, much more this morning here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Sonia Aslam from News 1130 joins us here in studio now uh, on this Friday morning. TGIF, Aslam. I know. Good morning, boys. Good morning. Hello. <laughs> we were, our, our, our show meeting this morning consisted of uh, Mike English, our producer, yeah. who will moderate our Canucks uh, all-time draft coming up at 8 o'clock. Uh, he uh, shared the quick story with us about uh, something that happened in Dawson Creek. What up with that? Yeah, so this is not what the province was hoping for when they implemented this mandatory mask uh, wearing thing. So uh, a man in Dawson Creek at the Walmart attacked an employee because he wasn't wearing a mask and the employee asked him to. And when I say attacked, I don't mean like shoved. I mean like he was on top of this person and beating them. So he's been arrested and he's been released and he'll be in court uh, next year. And he's been arrested on assault charges and mischief charges. So pretty violent and pretty shocking for customers who saw it. And a uh, reminder again, I don't think we need to say it, but it's a $230 fine if you're able to wear a mask and you don't and you're over the age of 12. And please, uh, when someone asks you to put one on, don't attack them. Don't be belligerent. Don't be abusive because that kind of stuff will only add to more fines. I think people think that it's just one $230 fine if you don't wear a mask. That's the starting point. So there can be multiple $230 fines in one incident. So you could be paying one, two grand. It depends. 
Yeah, Sonia, in your newsroom, and have you heard of anyone who has actually been ticketed already? Has the province handed out any of those fines? So not the new mask ones for two hundred thirty dollars only, because they've only gone in for the next couple or last couple of days. And the thing is, is that the province, um, the the way that they do that they collect data, it takes a few days and a few weeks for us to get those numbers. But okay. they are being, you know, they are. It is on bylaw officers and on police. And uh, we spoke with transit police just the other day, who said, "Yeah, we are now fully enforcing it. If you get on a bus." or the SkyTrain, or you're at the platform, or whatever, and someone calls us and says, someone's not wearing a mask, we will remove you, and you get a fine. Like, there is no more, there's no grace period. We're not messing around. Either you put one on, or you leave. So, it's it's happening. <laughs> yeah. It took us a while to get there, but now that it's here, yeah, it's mm-hmm. quite, it's quite, uh, quite strong. So, if you have the first overall pick in a Canucks uh, draft, who are you taking? All time, all time players. Any everybody's on the table that played for the Canucks. Who are you taking first? Oh, I want to say Bure. Yeah. Yeah, just because the excitement, you know, and you can't go wrong. That's the first person that comes to mind. Even okay. though I love Trevor, but I would say probably Pavel. You take it, Pavel. Well, you would have. Would you have Trevor in your top four? I mean, there's four of us picking the team. We should have put you on it. We apologize right now as I have this thought live on air and not in a production <laughs> meeting. But oh, we don't. We don't opinion. have you on. No. So I'm letting you pick your team now. So Bure's one. Pick me four. Uh, okay, I'll go Bure. Um, does it matter what decade? Does it matter? No, it doesn't. It's an no. all time. You want to win okay. with this team. Okay. So. Oh, I want to win with this team. So Bure, say Pedersen, uh, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and I guess you need a goalie, but I'm still gonna say the Twins. Well, we'll we can figure out goal later. Figure out goalie later. Yeah. Yeah. Would you yeah. rather Luongo? Would you rather McLean? Uh, Luongo. Kirk, Kirk was good, but there's something about that age of hockey that's just not, it's not the same. You can't compare it to what we see now. Like, I often look at highlights from the 80s and the 90s, and it's like, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing. It's like, are you seeing the way the goalies are even in the net? They're barely in the net. They're coming way <laughs> out. You know, you can get one hand on your stick and still score, and it's, you know, everyone's losing their mind. When you look at today's level of playing, how tight it is and how fast it is and how hard it is, there's no comparison. I, uh, You know what? We, we've talked about this before, but I, as a kid, you know, always hearing so much about how incredible Ken Dryden was for the mm-hmm. Montreal Canadiens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the first time I watched the 72 Summit Series and watching <laughs> these pucks like – He's n- nobody's in the zone and somebody just taking a <laughs> slap shot from the blue line and ripping past Ken Dryden. I'm going, what? He is never going went on? down. He just well, stood. <laughs> no, he just stood there. And I remember saying to my dad, who was a huge Bruins fan. And I yeah. said, dad, like I thought Ken Dryden was good. He's like, Oh my God. He goes, finally had that guy on my side and he couldn't stop a beach ball in that tournament. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. The yeah. video sometimes changes the memories of what, and, uh, and I feel bad. Cause I often look at, you know, Wayne Gretzky, you know, all time best player. I get it, but man, you could not go up against McDavid and Crosby today. No. And even if you were at, you know, the height of your career and we put you up against today's style of play, there's no way. Well, and even Bertuzzi has watched some of those retro games. Cause man, I thought I was really fast. Right? Yeah. It's just the game is so different, right? So yeah. we can say it as those who have never played, but when yeah. the guys who were all-stars and yeah. could be on a list today, because, you know, I, I see those games, they thought I was fast, and now it's just, nope. What's well, going on with these pictures? And I agree. You think changes. this is, like, the best play that we've ever seen, and then you're like, oh, no, it's not. No, no, this is this is terrible. I could play that. 
Yeah, it, it yeah. changes with everything, right? In the moment, it's great. But, yeah. like, honestly, 30 years from now in the world of radio, they will look at this past three-minute segment and go, that wasn't very good. <laughs> and they'll be right? speaking about you. So that's I thought it was fabulous. <laughs> Aslam, on that note, have a great weekend. Stay safe and um, have some sanitizer uh, close by, all right? I always do. Thanks, boys. Yeah, I hear you. There she is. Later. Sonia Aslam have from News 1130. Down the hall, the latest uh, this morning uh, from the uh, from the news world as Ontario reporting a new record of uh, almost 1,900 cases this morning. So uh, 26 minutes after 7 o'clock, Elliot Friedman weighs in on the latest uh, as we continue to wait for the owners and the players to come to an agreement when the National Hockey League's play resumes as cases spiking everywhere. We'll get to that and much, much more. All still ahead here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. All right, 7.32, Sabolski and Solkowski on this Friday morning. A reminder, this hour is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Buter Street in Vancouver or check them out online at Dunbar Lumber. Com. Perry, uh, check in at our Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Uh, a lot of people weighing in with their thoughts as to who they would take first or all. I- I'm amazed at how many people uh, are ready to take, would, would take Quinn Hughes already after one season in 50 years have got Pedersen, or uh, Quinn Hughes, like pretty much number one already. already. Yeah, that's... That's the interesting part of this. Uh, if you didn't know, and Texas on the Dumber Lumber Hotline, we're going to uh, welcome Corey Hirsch and, and John Garrett and and pick our all-time starting lineup. So we'll we'll have five and a goalie. Um, but you're right, Quinn Hughes, it, it doesn't seem like there's any issues. Does it speak to how talented he is? Does it speak to the lack of depth on the blue line? But Hughes and Pedersen, um, and maybe it's, you know, what have you done for me lately? that they're so good that people just go automatically. If, if you're picking your top five, those two names have to be in it. I do wonder, listen, they, hey, they were the best in the league. They were runners up for the Calder one, one, one. But I do wonder, does, does Quinn Hughes look that spectacular in Pedersen when if they came in right after this team, two or three years removed from a Stanley Cup, you know, this team was terrible for a couple of years looking for someone to grab. And these two kids have come in, which kind of puts even more of a spotlight on them. But who knows? I mean, longevity is one thing to make a, a Hall of Fame career. But what you see in the last uh, 80 games that these two kids have played, I think most people in Texas, what you would do for a starting line, have those two names and the suggestions that we're asking for. Yeah, it's, you know, to me, what I find fascinating, like I look at Pedersen, when I talk to people about Pedersen, I think a lot of people are ready to crown him the greatest player in franchise history. They want to, yeah. Yeah. And, and, like and are, they're sizing and, and up are the convinced, coat. Yeah, and are convinced that by the time this his body of work is complete, that he will supersede Pavel. Um, you know, like, I, it's funny, like, just talking to a buddy about this the other day about, hey, we're going to be doing this draft coming up at 8 o'clock on our Canucks commute. You know, who would you take first overall? And, and he, pretty much, like, he has Pedersen one or two, right? Like, of anybody, like, people taking Pedersen over the Twins. You know, you think about one, one's one got an Art Ross, one's got a Hart Trophy. 
And, you know, Petey's got two seasons under his belt where, you know, he's had two 66-point seasons, um, you know, very good seasons, and probably would have hit 30 goals this past year. But it's uh, – but people are – like, the based on what we've seen in the body of work from Elias Pettersson, people are fully convinced, and probably the playoffs as well. Uh, but I think even without the playoffs, I think people have been convinced on Petey that – what they have seen, the eyeball test suggests that this guy is going to be the greatest Canuck of all time. And sometimes see- I kind of think like the like we talk about like the ten million dollar salary that he's going to get. I feel like at this point the numbers might dictate that they're not going to be that high pair. But man, people are people are convinced that he's going to be the goat for this franchise. James, it's almost it's almost like we forget, and we've had these conversations on air, but it's almost not probably had them more off air. Where you go, hey, uh, probably no one's saying it, but number 40 wasn't very good. Number 40 was pushed around. He didn't do much. And when that does happen, it does seem to his defense, whether it's a one or two or three game, it's not a long streak. Then he does something that is just of a talent that you can't have, right? Of a one-timer or the you know, the calmness he has in front of the net in the playoffs. And you go, look at him go there. I I love the compete battle that he showed in the postseason. I think that has ingrained more people towards him going, it doesn't matter what style of play this kid is going to learn. He is trending that way. But, boy, that's a tough sport that these athletes play. And you are a twisted knee or a broken bone away from going, you might not be able to get back. You have said constantly, you wonder if Brock Besser is the guy he was before, in part through his back injury and his wrist injury. Now, he's getting there, but to be an all-star, you have to have a little bit of longevity, I guess. I mean, if we're thinking we're playing this team in four months, is he there? I just think we saw that Sedin's grow into two of the best players in the world. Is Petey and our Hughes automatically there? It's our debate. We'll have it at eight. It's your chance. Jump on the Dumber Lumber text line. A lot of people are at 650-650. Guide us, if you will, as to what you would do as far as jumping in on this right now and who the top Canucks are all time. Uh, We'll get into that. Uh, So Corey Hirsch, John Garrett, Perry, myself will take part. uh, Three forwards, two defensemen, one goaltender. Uh, and that's coming up on your Canucks commute at 8 o'clock, so just over 20 minutes from now. Uh, Elliot Friedman was on our sister station, Sportsnet 590, the fan this morning, kind of uh, updating the latest where things sit between the NHL and the players. Obviously, for the last 10 days, there's been a disconnect since the owners have asked for a a few more concessions financially from the players. A lot of frustration, a lot of players feeling betrayed, angry. Here's what Elliot also alluding to this morning that owners are also upset right now. And part of it is how things have played out with the NBA as they are getting ready to tip off in about 25 days from now. Here's what Friedman had to say with the, uh, the disconnect now with the owners and maybe the commissioner. There's some NHL teams that own NBA teams in their same buildings. And I'm under the impression, and I've only heard this secondhand that the NBA deal uh, that it was signed between the league and the players, those owners feel that the NBA deal is better for the owners. And so mm-hmm. I've, I've been told that when some of the details get out, the NHL owners or the ones that have learned about it, they're like, ugh, they got more than we did. So, yeah, and looking at the NBA deal going, man, like, how, what did we just sign off on five months ago? And maybe there's a reason why 
they're they're asking for more concessions from the players what four or five months after signing this deal here pair yeah, but that logic is flawed if nhl owners are looking at going oh they got more than than we did i don't know does that not allow nhl players to go oh kelly olenic picked up his option for 13 million a year look how much he gets paid and he doesn't do what i do you know you can't compare what they have from a tv deal in the NHL to a TV deal in the NBA, but I do believe, and I said as soon as the NBA said they're all in, they'll be playing on Christmas Day, that Gary Bettman, you know, looked at the pressure. Hey, you know, we're both talking about the Brian Burke book. I was reading a little bit yesterday, and I was in the part where he's leaving Hartford to go to the NBA and to the NHL, and Gary Bettman is in discussion with him, and Berkey's kind of defending Bettman. Because everyone was thinking, come on, this is a, the vice president of the NBA. A small American NBA basketball guy is now coming to run Canada's game, to run hockey. Well, I mean, Gary Bettman has become a big hockey guy. He's done a wonderful job. But, you know, do you get away from your roots? I think he sees what the NBA does and go, my league's got to do exactly what they did and feels the heat to get it on. But I don't think you can compare the two. It's unfair. Players don't pay paid what NBA players do. You're not going to get the same deal that the owners got. No. Um, and so we continue to wait and see. But I'll tell you what, Pear, you know, you want to allow, and we've talked about this multiple times, the NHL wants to allow themselves as much runway as possible to allow for that flexibility that if they are ultimately going to drop the puck on a season and try to run a year similar to what Major League Baseball just did to what the NFL is currently doing right now, You've got to allow for some wiggle room with positive tests and maybe potential postponements. And at this rate, you know, December 1st is Tuesday, right? The idea of January 1st seems like a pie in the sky now for the commissioner's Mm -hmm. original dream. We might be looking closer to February 1, but, you know, what's that schedule? What's the length look like? You know, and, you know, you don't want to bleed too much into summer because it was obvious that people had a hard time getting into hockey in the summer, you know, and as well, you crazy can't. and as you starved can't because as we the Olympics is going to take place. Right? Yeah. Well, and that's the other, yeah, that's the other thing with your broadcaster. Right. So, you know, hope, I mean, at some point they're still hoping that Tokyo 2020 is going to get off the ground in the summer of 2021. So, you know, I think you just, there's a sense of urgency here. If you're going to get this season to play, I think it will play, but man, at some point, everybody's got to put the knives down put the guns down and figure this out and understand what's going on. I would think there's a schedule. Obviously there's one for January 1st, which was Batman's dream scenario. And I never said he would get that. I never thought they would. I thought Christmas and everything. They're not, they're not going to push that. I think January 5th is realistic and I'm sure there's a schedule or January 15th. Sorry. I'm sure there's a schedule for February 1st. And I'm sure it's like, guys, if we took it this far, look how more condensed it's going to be back to back to back but we still can get it finished by July 23rd when the Olympics start. And I guess you could probably figure one out for February 15th, but the more they stretch it, the less money the players make. I don't know if they go past February 15th. I didn't expect anything to be going on this week. It's just that, you know, the American holiday, your, your Thursday and Friday were done pretty much half work day yesterday, but boy, sleeves have to be rolled up and some tough decisions have to be made. And I think that's next week, James, At this point next week, I think they will be closer to a deal. What will it look like? You look at the numbers. They want it to kind of travel like the NFL and go, okay, Vancouver can play in Vancouver, and we'll have a team there play a few games. I do think now they're going to have to look and go, guys, we're going to have to couple bubbles in different cities. 
and have you there for two weeks and play an amount of games, which was kind of on the table in the summertime. But to your end, next week's massive. Next week is massive. January 15th or February 1st to me is kind of when they'll start playing. Yeah, they've they've left the table. No one's happy, but everyone agrees they have to play. I think they will, but you got to start doing some really hard work in the boardrooms. And hopefully they do it, and they do it kind of quietly because that's how they got the first CBA done. Noise has been out. Cat's been let out of the cage. But get back in there and get it hammered out next week. All right, 743 here on this uh, Friday morning. He's Perry. I'm James. Your Canucks commute coming up at 8 with the all-time Canucks draft. John Garrett, Corey Hirsch, Sabalski, Solkowski all set to roll coming up at the top of the clock. And in a moment, we'll check in with our Sportsnet 650 Twitter poll question. Should the World Juniors still be a go next month with everything that's going on right now across the country? That next right here on Sportsnet 650. Name something you eat frozen. Cat. Sorry? Cat. Show me cat. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. <laughs> well, what was that? That was Family Feud Canada. Something you eat frozen, and the guy goes, cat. Yeah, sometimes the brain, maybe uh, the mouth working quicker than the brain. Name something you eat frozen. Cat. Sorry? Cat. Show me cat. <laughs> I can only imagine what Jerry's D doing. Jerry D's doing like, you cat? Huh? Sorry? Cat? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's there's been a few moments already putting uh, Family Feud Canada on the map with with these types of uh, viral moments. But and then you gotta live with that, right? Like, dude, did you say you frozen cat? Like, what's in your freezer? Like, how do yeah. you have? Uh, how does that come out of your mouth? What was the other one that someone said that was? Did it have a sexual connotation? That was just oh, I can't believe Here's you the went game. there. Here we go. I, I don't know. Name yeah, there's Popeye's been a few favorite food. Yeah. chicken <laughs> yeah what was the question what's your favorite food though popeye's favorite food oh yes popeye's favorite food yes oh uh, well i would love to see i bet you the sabalski family would would just sign up for that show in a heartbeat wouldn't you that is right down your alley not even the your kids like i think mom and dad back in ottawa sis you guys would be good guests there the sabalski like, family i feel like we were uh i always found richard dawson a little creepy back in the day watching him on agree like, just he just yeah. kind of hung he just kind of always seemed to nestle a little too close to the women right <laughs> i mean it was just oh yeah way just kind of yeah. linger just a full-on creeper right um but I, I, we were more of a wheel of fortune household, I think, than than anything. That was wheel of fortune was our was was our jam. You needed, I you would need, say. yeah, you needed a letter. To, they needed a letter to get you going. You needed that yeah. push. Yeah, it needed needed a nudge. You know, we like we needed to buy a W or or something along those lines. Our Sportsnet six fifty Twitter poll question this morning: We're asking you, um, should the World Junior Hockey Tournament be canceled or postponed right now? Right now, fifty three percent of you say yes. 47% say no. So pretty split right now as we are uh, less than a month away. I mean, Boxing Day, man, it's a holiday tradition and and a wonderful one at that for so many years for this country. I mean, Boxing Day, K-1, 
Canada drops the puck, and but right now, I mean, you've got the entire team in quarantine in Alberta right now, Pear. You know, the selection camp went off the rails over the last week. I just wonder, how, how can you pull this off, sent, bringing in groups of, what, 40 to 50 people from nine different countries right now when we're all kind of being asked, you know what, stay home. Don't go see anybody outside your household right now. Yeah, I, I was in conversation with the with the Western Hockey League executive yesterday, and and we we kind of broached this subject. And I mean, he's the the mindset like everyone, the hockey person in him wants us to see a tradition and have a little bit of normalcy as to what happens over the holidays. But said if if hockey Canada is having issues, how in the world do we welcome as a country all these different groups coming in to think that there's not going to be an issue? And he goes, you know, you're you're dealing with kids, you know, and, and someone someone replied, we've got lots of reply on this that just said, hey, put the kids in a bubble like you did for the NHL and the games can go. Here's the first thing. And the that's fact, what they're yeah, doing. Just put the kids, right? Just put the kids. Like, I know they want to play, but sometimes you have to make good decisions. And who knows what long-term effects are of what's happening right now. So I, I know they probably got their drop-dead date when they're going to have to pull the plug, and it might be – if, you know, teams may be here already, but I think it's got to be some really tough conversations that are going on right now with Hockey Canada going, how are we pulling this off? They're likely going to make some cuts in the next couple of days based on what, really? Game film from last year and what you saw in a in a handful of kind of practices get on the ice sessions? That's not normal. So there's nothing normal about this. Why are you forcing this tournament if the issues continue in Alberta and the numbers are where they are in our country? Totally. Uh, there is a, there's an article written where a professor right now at the University of Calgary, Lorian Hardcastle, kind of pointing out, look, she said, quote, a lot of people's recreational pursuits have been taken away and people were very happy to have sports to watch on TV, but we do need to give people some satisfaction and the happiness where we're able to. But I am concerned with this tournament. With Alberta's numbers as high as they are, it's difficult to endorse this. And that's the point, right? Like, it's it's hard to sit there and sign off on this with 10 different countries taking part in an international... like. The International Ice Hockey Federation has canceled a lot of different tournaments this year already, mm -hmm. right? So it's not like yeah. this is suddenly a unicorn sort of idea here. There's a lot of tournaments like how did the World Hockey Championships play out earlier this year back in the spring, right? Like, that didn't go. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I so why are they forcing the issue with, you know, essentially the youngest tournament they have? It may be their most profitable. It's the biggest thing in our country. But it's kids. And, I, you know, I, you don't hear from any of them. I wonder if there are some parents who are doing just like some of the NHLers that said, I don't want to be in the bubble. And as a parent, you're probably not going to go, you know, I don't think it's safer for Bob to be there right now. Um, maybe we should be pulling the plug. Well, you're not going to do that to him. So someone's got to be responsible. Someone's got to do the right thing. I understand you can wait a little bit. But when you're hearing health officials suggesting this probably isn't the smartest thing to do right now, the only thing why and the only reason they're doing is is for money. And that should tell you right now, pull it all back, guys. If it doesn't change, don't get this done. I know you can go the NHL, the NHL, they did it. The climate and the numbers were completely different in July and August than what we're dealing with right now. 100%. All right, five minutes to 8 o'clock. The moment of truth is just around the corner. Para, are you ready? You ready for this? I'm, everybody texting us on our draft. 
Like, apparently, I should be taking Messier. Messier's name is all <laughs> over these texts that are coming in. I can't think so. Not going Messier? Come on, you spent, you watched some prime uh, prime years of Messier. No, because when we're making this draft and we're going to do it with, with Hershey, I, I, I'm always thinking of how they played in a Canucks uniform. So I can't go down that road. Al Sundin would be part of it. Uh, well, let's uh, let's find out. The moment of truth is next. The all-time Canucks draft here on the starting lineup. Cheech, Hershey, Sabalski, Zolkowski, next on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Spicing up your morning drive with the Canuck Commute. Vancouver selects from the University of Michigan, Quinn Hughes. The Vancouver Canucks draft from St. Petersburg of the KHL. This is the starting lineup with James Sabalski and Perry Solkowski. <laughs> I, I ah. never stop laughing when I hear that selection. <laughs> I know. It's like the puck was bouncing for him, right? It was not the clear shot that Steamer wanted. It was hesitation. The puck was on edge. Oh, and, you know. And how many times did he practice it, too? I would hope a lot. Well, you know. Until you know, you don't know. You get a little stage fright up there. And remember, there was the Dallas Stars uh, that later that round they called Thomas Harley Harley Thomas, right? So they yes. they got his name complete. Like you know, it wasn't it wasn't just Steamer who got it wrong on Vasiliev Potstovev. <laughs> yeah, he, he's not coming, but Pat Colson might be here in, in a few months. And you know, and was it not Benning who like you think Jim makes the call? You know, I, I Steamer, you do that one. Hey, uh, Quinn Hughes. All to Quinn Hughes. I got Quinn Hughes, right? Because yeah. I think Benning did Quinn Hughes. I got that Quinn Hughes. Yeah, you get Ryan the top, Smith. You, you yeah, I got Ryan names. Smith. We can handle that one. Here, Steamer, you go deal with this one. I'm not sure. Hey, listen, you do it or you're fired. Um, all right, it's your Canucks commute here on this Friday morning. As we've mentioned all morning long, we are going to do a Canucks all-time draft. We just like the idea that Walks, Sat, and Bick did on the program earlier this week. We liked it so much. We thought, we're going to steal their idea and try to make it better. So what do we do to take it next level? We went in and we brought in our two Canucks analysts here at Sportsnet, John Garrett, Corey Hirsch. Cheech, good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? Excellent, thank you. We got no burgers for you, though, this morning, so I apologize for that in advance. And Corey Hirsch, also Hershey Olympic silver medalist, former Vancouver Canuck. What's up, Hershey? Welcome back, sir. What's going on? All four of this together here. This is a, a, like an all-star cast with John Garrett. Once you add him, it <laughs> yeah. just makes everything better. Up early. Miss you, Cheech. <laughs> yes, you too, Corey. You too. We haven't hung out forever. <laughs> yeah. Perry, we got a moderator for this as well that we thought we'd go to with our uh, executive producer oh. here of the starting lineup, and uh, we, we needed somebody to bring the commissioner, essentially, an, an authoritative voice here to the mix. Mike English will uh, act our role for this draft as commissioner. Uh, let's uh, introduce Mike English. Mike? Mike? Uh -oh. Mike? <laughs> Yeah, on the we clock, are off to a Mike flying English. start. The what? Yeah. Yeah, off yep. to a great start. Computer died just as we hit eight o'clock, and I just had to fire it back up again. My apologies for being late. Uh, draft, and I blew it. And I apologize to all four of you. That's gonna Ballard, get draft can we boo, Can we boo Mike English? Do we have that? Boo! I, I get it at home all the time. No big deal. I thought maybe oh, used to it. That's it. I'm out of here. Okay. <laughs> no, gentlemen, I'm all set to go. Um, First of all, welcome to this draft. 
it's great to have you aboard. And uh, I guess we should go through the rules a little bit here. It is a snake draft. And uh, just wanted to go through the rules so everybody and the listener is aware. We have four teams. Each team picks six players, one goaltender, two defensemen, three forwards, all of whom must have played for the Canucks in the last 50 years. So you're in luck as Mark Messier, Garth Rizzuto, Nick Goldobin are all available. So that means 24 players selected over six rounds. Now the draft conducted as a snake draft, as mentioned, meaning whoever picks fourth overall, which is Team Sabalski, will also have the fifth pick overall as we go in reverse order each round. The drafting order is as such. Leading off with the first pick overall will be Team Garrett, followed by Team Selkowski, then Team Hirsch, and then Team Sabalski. And then Sabalski will, of course, will have the fifth pick as well as we go in reverse order. And of course, an answer to John Garrett's text to me privately. Yes, John, you can pick yourself if you feel <laughs> yes. that will help your cause. Yes. Team anyway, and Corey, of course, has the same option as well. <laughs> can, so, I text uh, Sabalski, uh, can I text Sabalski and trade down so I can get four and five? We could really screw this up for you, Commissioner. I won't, though. Well, gentlemen, are you ready? Let's do it. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, do we have a clock, Mr. English? One more question to the moderator. Well, we do. We have to be submission. done by 8.24. So uh, I'm going to have to prod so. you along as we go here. But I know you've had weeks to study this. So yes. we'll assume you're ready yes. to go. I would say we got I about am- 10 seconds per pick, right? Does that make sense, guys, I would think? In case someone yeah, screws you over. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. No, okay. I'll, let's get going here. With okay. the first overall pick, we go to Team Garrett. Team Garrett, and I know everybody thinks I'm going to take Roberto Luongo because he was about 200 games over 500 when he was playing with the Canucks. But Team Garrett is going to go back and pick a friend of theirs who is also a roommate of Mr. Garrett, the inevitable and the just great guy, Gary Smith, is Team Garrett's first choice. Wow. Gary Suitcase Smith to Team Garrett. And now we move to Team Sulkowski with a second overall pick. What the hell was that, Cheech? Like, I know it's a buddy, but you're telling me when you're building a hockey team, you're going with Gary Suitcase Smith as your first pick? Yes. Wow. Yes. I want some color in my lineup. I want some character. I want some personality. Excellent. We can't wait till Shane Antosky's on your lineup, too. Wow. Um... (laughs) Well, now that I've got the pick of the litter, if you will, I will go with this most exciting player that ever put on a uniform. And with that, we head over to Russia, and Team Solkowski welcomes Pavel Bure to his hockey team. And we move to the third pick overall. And Corey Hirsch, and a reminder, Corey, you can pick yourself. Hershey's still trying to figure out. Hershey, are you in the war room or what are you doing? He's going over his list. Corey Hirsch. Well, (laughs) can you hear me? He's out there to draft. We're going to have to move on. Yes, Hershey, where are you? There you go. Okay. I I pulled a Mike English. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to stay in Russia and I am going to pick. Roman Oksuda. Wait, no, we're not picking the laziest Canucks of all time. We're picking, uh, I'm going to take Alex McGillney as the best all-around Canuck ever. Wow. Oh, man. And now we move to the fourth and final pick of the fourth round, that being uh, Team Sabalski. 
Wow. Oh, boy. You had some names that I didn't think would be there after three picks. No, I know. Boy, this is a game changer. Um, you know what? Team Sabalski takes with the final pick of the first round, Elias Pettersson. Interesting. There's a couple of guys that look alike in the middle of Vancouver right now going, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't heard our names yet. Wow. All right. And, and of course, uh, this being a snake draft, uh, James, you have the first pick of the second round. With the uh, just quickly, I uh, want to say uh, a big welcome to everybody <laughs> at the pub up the road at the Sabalski draft party. Uh, and with the first pick of the second round, uh, Team Sabalski will take goaltender Roberto Luongo. Oh, Lou. Ooh. Uh, Corey Hirsch with the next pick is going to take uh, on defense, I would say, um, who is going to be the best Canuck defenseman of all time because there really aren't any that have ever been like him, but Quinn Hughes, he is going to be on my all-time Canuck mm. team. So Quinn Hughes, the first defenseman selected here in the draft, and we move on to Team Salkowski. Uh, Team Selkowski, uh, pleased to welcome to his squad from Orskovic, Sweden, Henrik Sedin. Mm. Henrik. That means you have to take Daniel, too, though. (laughs) And now we're back to uh, the man who selected first overall. You now have the eighth pick of the draft, that being Team Garrett. Team Garrett is uh, going to take from Hamilton, Ontario, Kevin Bieksa. Oh, Kevin Bieksa. Wow. Little toughness, hey? Little toughness. Yeah, I'd like, like to hang with Cheech's team in the bar so I could listen to their stories. <laughs> <laughs> and, John, because we're going in a reverse uh, draft, the uh, snake draft, you have the next selection, the first pick of the third round. And he's already been on this show already. Let's go with Stan Smeal. Steamer. Steamer goes to Team Garrett. And we move back to Perry Sulkowski for his third pick of this draft. Uh, Team Sulkowski continues to stay away from North America as he welcomes to his team uh, number two, Matthias Olin. Number two. Very nice. Uh, So my next pick, I'm going to go uh, with a left side defenseman, and it's going to be the legend, Pat Quinn, oh, one of the wow. toughest people Big to man. ever play, ended Bobby Orr's career. You're coming down his side. I don't care who you are. You're going to pay. So Hershey has his defense set with Hughes and Quinn, which is kind of a weird combination. You can Quinn Hughes. Too. Quinn Hughes. There no one's going to with Hughes. Quinn and Quinn. Hmm. So to the third pick of the third round. We go to Team Sabolski. Um, Man, I am surprised that he is still here, but without question, we are happy to take former captain Marcus Naslin. Uh, Marcus Naslin to Team Sabolski, and uh, reminder, Team Sabolski, you have the next pick of the fourth round. Well, I do need to start rounding out my blue line, but... In the meantime, uh, you know what? He's still lingering, so why not go with the man in the middle, another retired jersey, another former captain, Trevor Linden. Very nice. Too easy. Too easy. Too easy. Layup. Layup. Uh, yeah, this one's an easy one for me. 
the best game I ever saw a cutoff goalie play. Well, I mean, other than, I mean, Jacob Markstrom and, and it were close, but this was in a Stanley Cup final. And for me, Kirk McLean is going to be my goalie. Ooh. A prime time Kirk McLean. Not at the end, the prime Kirk McLean. So, Mr. Slikowski, you're up next. You're the only team not to select a goalie at this point. Is this the round in which you do it? Goalies are overrated. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, so really. you need one. Never why you don't need have one. one, but there's only we only need four, and I think there is some depth. Um, I will make this move uh, part of maybe the most talented Olympic team that our nation has ever put together. And a friend of the show on the blue line with Matthias Olin will be one Ed Jovanovsky. So Jovo goes to Team Salkowski, which brings us to Team Garrett for his fourth pick of this fourth round. I'm going to round out uh, my defense pairing with uh, the always legendary Harold Snaps. Oh. I like three times <laughs> defenseman MVP of the Vancouver Canucks. We got that '70s show going with uh, Cheech's draft selection. Yeah. You also have the first pick of the fifth round, and uh, so go right ahead. I'm into my forwards, and uh, well, everybody's picking centerman. I'm going to take Daniel Sedin. Split up the Sedins. Goodness. First yes, time it's exactly. ever happened. Exactly. Wow. Wow. Uh, Perry uh, Solkowski, your selection here in round number five. Um, round number five. Um, I've got my blue line. I need a goalie. Who could I play with Bure and Henrik Sedin? Um, you know, up front. The guy who brought the Sedins here, uh, Thomas Gradine, will round out my three guys up front. Ooh. Hmm. So the only Canadian team Salkowski has is Jovo at this point. We move to uh, Corey Hirsch for his fifth yeah. selection. Here's wow, first. hey, everyone took centermen, and, and I'm not sure where to go with my next pick. Um, I'm thinking that my next pick is going to be Tony Tanti. I was thinking about him. So underrated. Tony Tanti. Yep. Talented, skilled. Him or Thomas Gradine. Ooh, that's a tough one, too. You played with both, right, Cheech? Yeah, Gradine's already gone, though, Hershey. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Gradine? Who picked Gradine? I missed I that. Just, I just took Gradine before you. Oh, Jeez. I, I was thinking of my pick. My ADD kicked in. <laughs> Sorry, gentlemen. Uh, then I'm going with Tony Tanti. And a reminder to everyone, Paul Papil is still available. <laughs> so is Ivan Boldarev. Derek Pouliot as well. And Krutov, yes. We go to Team Sobalski for the uh, fifth, his final selection of this fifth round. Time to round out my D and a uh, lot of options to choose, but I'm going to go with someone who was here for a good time, not a long time, Paul Reinhardt. Ooh, good player. And uh, Team Sabalski also has the first selection of the sixth round. Uh, and with my uh, defensive pairing, I'm going to go with somebody who is a man after my own heart. 
He makes his own wine and has an amazing duster who celebrates Movember every year, Dave Babbage. Hmm, love Dave Babbage. And Good. Corey Hirsch, uh, your pick of this final round. Oh. I guess you have to go with a forward. I do have to go with a forward, and it's going. It's tied between Gino Ojic and Todd Bertuzzi. So what do you want to go with? Do you just want to go and beat other teams up? That's my that's my question. Like, what era are we playing in? Are we playing now? Are we playing in the 80s? Is anybody, is or is this just, if we're going to have a game, what are the rules? Hershey, your team should be good enough to win in any era. Oh, good Lord. Then I'd have to take Todd Bertuzzi. We're just going to bully teams with him and Pat Quinn. Yeah. Well, you might be, you'll be able to push my team around. That's for sure. <laughs> Todd can't come across the border, though. Todd won't uh, want. Well, Todd does want to come to Canada because Trump lost. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, had to go there. We all, we all know Todd. Yes. And we move to Team Sulkowski. Your final selection of this uh, sixth round. Obviously, you must have your eyes on a goaltender. Yeah, no, I know. Is uh, is is Chris LeBeck available? Um, Marte Brochu. <laughs> Marty Marte brochure, yes, Felix Potvin. Um, did you know? And I can't even remember. I know, Seaball, you got Luongo. Gary Suitcase Smith is gone. Uh, Hershey, did you take McLean or who did you take? I took Curdy McLean. Yep. Yeah. So I will stay with the uh, freshly departed. I will draft Jacob Markstrom to nice. yeah. cover the pipes. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong with that. So Richard Berdur, John Garrett, Corey Hirsch. All go by unselected in this prestigious NHL draft. I wonder uh, John why. Cheech, you had the first pick overall. You have the last pick overall in this draft. So we await the your selection. Final round. I was thinking Ryan Miller, too, as a goaltender would have been yeah. a good selection. Yeah, not bad. But anyway, um, I need a centerman. I know you guys never looked at positions, but I have Daniel Sedin on the left, Stan Smeal on the right, and centering them will be Bo Horvat. Oh, wow. Character. It's a good character so, group of guys there you got, Cheech. Uh, you guys, so, you got to go positions. Hershey was right. You go positions. Yep. You got to. So that concludes this uh, 2020 Canuck snake draft. I have to admit, I was somewhat surprised when Gary Suitcase Smith was made the first overall selection. So was Gary. <laughs> it threw the whole draft into whack. Yes, it threw, yeah. it threw everybody's draft table out of order. <laughs> yeah, but how many guys have rules made just for them? And Gary Suitcase Smith had that rule about the goalie handling the puck over the red line was specifically designed for Gary Suitcase Smith. That really? Like yeah, he used to go down story. in the delayed penalties. He'd go down and stand in front of the net. <laughs> Did he really? That oh, is yeah. something I never knew. That is awesome. Really? You know what? That is awesome. I love it. But Cheech, how were his numbers? Like, I mean, th when the nickname is Suitcase, it was because he was traded so much. Um, well, he was ahead but, of his time. He had uh, he had more personality than a lot of people could stand at the time when uh, players didn't have many rights and there was no waivers or anything, so he'd just get traded. The owners didn't like him or somebody didn't like him and then he'd get traded. But uh, that year that he was an all-star here in Vancouver, the only reason that the Canucks 
won any games at all. And how many games did he play that one season? He just played a ton of games. And uh, yeah, he was 72. absolutely great. Yes. Yeah. That's mine. Yep. And at 895, save percentage back then, that was pretty damn good. Yeah. Wow. I'm looking at his stats, obviously. That's uh, 32-24, 895 save percentage in 72 games. You know what? That's Back then, that's impressive. That is impressive. Oh, it was unbelievable. It was, and the equipment they used back then and uh, oh. not uh, the durability and his lifestyle <laughs> wasn't conducive to playing a whole lot of games. But yet, <laughs> uh, games. Right. If you could live like him and play the way he did, you deserve the first overall pick, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But guys, uh, but, we got, we got but Brian true- Burke. Yeah, guys, uh, Brian Burke wanted to weigh in on uh, on the draft here, and uh, he's standing by uh, with uh, his reaction to uh, to the rosters assembled. Here's Berkey now. I don't know, and I really don't care. That's that. <laughs> <laughs> and Berkey went to Harvard Law. Have you read his book? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. about a quarter of the way through it now. It's fantastic so far. <laughs> he went. To I've Harvard heard it's Law. really good. Yeah. So, Cheech, what you're saying is when it comes to Canuck goalies and all, you actually think, you know, and we are always caught up in, in the numbers and the current play, but Gary Smith, and I think this is the challenge, and we'll get into it on the backside of it a little more because a lot of people are going, oh, you take Messier, you take this guy's on our text line. but it's, And it's tough to judge, okay, but we're trying to think this player, no matter what era, may have been one of the best ever. And, and for you, where a lot of people wouldn't be aware of Gary Suitcase Smith that much, he can no. put him in any era, give him the equipment they have. His ability to stop the puck was as good as anyone has ever put on a Canucks uniform. Well, you can't, like to me, you can't do that. You can't say, well, okay, put him into any era because uh, that's apples and oranges. Uh, Roberto Luongo yeah. back with the uh, skinny equipment and uh, players running over you all the time, uh, would Roberto Luongo have been as good as he was? Uh, yeah. Uh, and you look at the how the games changed, and uh, so you pick the guy from that era. And Stan Smil would Stan be as effective in today's game as he was in his era when you could run over people? Harold Snaps. Uh, you look at Matthias Oland even uh, back when defensemen could hammer guys in front of the net, and now you can't touch them. Quinn Hughes would would Quinn Hughes be anywhere? Near, Elias Pettersson. Would he be near as effective playing when, yeah, absolutely got hammered every game? Yeah. You can't do that. You can't do that. Yeah, you have to pick the era and pick the player and say, okay, uh, during that time, and as I was saying about Gary Smith, uh, that year he had uh, was absolutely incredible. So you take that year. Uh, hey, listen, guys, we're, we're, let, why don't we take a quick pause for the cause? We'll reset what we've got for our rosters, and uh, we'll take a look and compare notes, uh, take a look at the rosters, let everybody kind of weigh in on their reaction. Uh, who's got the better team? Uh, somebody texting in on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 said, somebody had better pick Igor Larionov or I'll be pissed. And, uh, you know, no, uh, no Igor on this yeah, one. So we'll get some point. reaction. We'll dive into our rosters and compare notes next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 
8.30 here on this Friday morning. Sabalski, Solkowski, Corey Hirsch, Sportsnet 650 hockey analyst, along with Sportsnet hockey analyst on the TV side as well. John Garrett all on the house. We just completed the... Uh, Canucks all-time draft here on the starting lineup, and uh, why don't we uh, why don't we share with our rosters? Uh, Cheech, you've got have you got your roster in front of us uh, right now? Yes, do I want... do. Okay, why no, don't you go I have them? it. Okay, I've got Gary Smith in goal. I've got left defense Harold Snips, right defense Kevin Bieksa. I've got on the forward line. Uh, I've got Bo Horvat at center, uh, Daniel Sedin at left wing, and Stan Smeal at right wing. Uh, there were worse guys that I thought Alex Edler to me, I'm, I'm surprised nobody took Alex Edler, yeah. uh, Yerky Lumi, Sammy Sallow on the defense. And then, uh, some of the forward selections you wonder about, uh, I mean, I had Alex Burroughs to me was one of the all time great Canuck forwards. And then you go back. Uh, you got Donnie Lever, Brendan Morrison, guys like that that could have been taken. But I think my team is very solid and uh, positionally strong and a combination of character toughness. And my team could play it in any era. I'm surprised that you're Kevin Bieksa. You know, I think Juice was so good to all of us in the media. Um, and he did log some minutes, but you think when you're going all timer, like really with four of us, Cheech, we had to pick the eight top defensemen. BX is in that conversation of one of the top 10 defensemen to ever put on a uniform. Well, okay. Uh, you look at some of your selections, Pat Quinn, Ed Jovanovsky, Paul Reinhardt, Dave Babbage. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kevin, to me, Matthias Olin and Kevin. Matthias, okay, uh, better offensively, uh, but not nearly as scary. No. And uh, Kevin had that uh, fear factor that uh, Matthias didn't have. Kevin could snap, and teams knew that. And I think that's why I took him. Fetter Fedorov knew that. I think he'd be in the top ten. But here, herein lies the problem why the Canucks have not won a Stanley Cup. We're sitting here, we can't pick a top <laughs> defenseman, right? Like I know. Well, it's like Quinn Hughes. Yeah, yeah, we're deciding Quinn yeah. Hughes right now. Uh, yeah. I thought he should have got Rookie of the Year. Hershey, I know you probably oh, agree with me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and but that's one year. Yeah, so I'm hoping he, that he's going to be that guy. Well, yeah. well, yeah, guys, exactly. guys, to that to that point, and and Cheech and Hershey and Parrot, like the only player in in Canucks history, the only defenseman to be a three time All Star for this team is Jovo, right? Like I think you could wow. make a case for what Jovo did in his body of work here, like three All Star appearances in his time as a Vancouver Canuck, and no other <laughs> like, defenseman, like and Hershey, no other defenseman, like has. Hershey, Hershey, Hershey says, is is that the biggest compliment in the world. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of an indictment on the franchise more than anything, right? Like, in, in terms of, like, the lack of success. Like, I, I think if we all had our own top five defensemen of all time, we'd all have a different list, I would think. Yeah, and uh, you guys didn't see Schnepsey as as much as I did, and I played with him, but uh, he, he was the uh, most valuable defenseman on the team three years in a row. So, you know, yeah. you, you, yeah. you look back, and, and you're right that 
the bar wasn't as high or never was that high with the Canucks. And I mean, Doug Hall worked, uh, was a good defenseman and, and could put up points and a power play guy. And, uh, would you consider him, uh, throw him in the mix? And, and that's the, uh, like Hershey says, the, there's so many guys that are, are good, but weren't great. And, and that's the difference between the franchises that are, consistently around the cup is they have that elite elite defenseman yep. that can carry the team or well, with the canadians well, if Sepsi's on the islanders cheech does he go down as one of the legendary defensemen of all time <laughs> no no so he's not even at that level but he was good yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. But he ate, he ate, he ate up a lot of minutes, didn't he, Cheech? Like we yeah. are so oh, into yeah. analytics, you know, twenty-seven minutes here and there. Harold for all the Harold, like he was on the ice a lot for your teams back then, wasn't he? In all situations. Uh, yeah, other than power plays, he never played power play. But uh, yeah, he he was last minute at every period and defensively and killing penalties and uh, against the other team's best line and uh, yeah. He was that good, but as Hershey said, if he was on Montreal or the Islanders or teams like that, he'd be fourth, fifth. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Fascinating. Pear, what do you got? Well, listen, I was surprised when Gary Suitcase Smith gets called first. So essentially I get the, I had the opportunity to go, okay, so you take the best Canuck. And to me, uh, we've seen some great ones, but, if your job is to score goals, I don't think there was anybody who could do it better or change a game just by jumping over the boards uh, than Pavel Burry. So uh, I don't know if anyone's going to get give me any issues with that. Wait, Henrik's- whoa, 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 whoa. I will. You know why? You know- because I played with Pav, and, and I'd, I'd shake Pav's hand before the game, and I'd say, I'll see you after the game, Pav. <laughs> yes. Because I never saw him during it. <laughs> yeah, but so what do you want your forwards to do, though, Hershey? Like, I know you need some guys to come back, but you yep. also want a guy who can score. So if you had said to Pavel, listen, just make sure you score, you're never you're never going to go, and I would never say Pavel was the complete hockey player, but if you want to score goals, is there anybody else who wore Canucks uniform that you would I say? Would yeah, I'd put, put Alex him? McGillney out there in a heartbeat. That guy yeah. could do. He played in his own end in the far end. We played a, a, a New Year's Day game against uh, Philadelphia. He scored three goals, I think, in the third period or something. Cheech, you might remember this game. And he ended up, I think we ended up winning the game. He was just unbelievable. The guy was one of the best all-around players. And the fact that he's not in the Hall of Fame is an absolute travesty. Yeah, and, I, 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 and you guys were talking about different eras. And you look at uh, the era of Pavel was, lighting it up all the time and uh, I agree what an exciting player and uh, I agree with Hershey too that uh, in his own end forget it and yet the, <laughs> you look at uh, all those those Euler teams and the Flames teams and they uh, with the 400 points uh, you know the one line would have 400 points yeah. at the end of the year uh, that era was run and gun and uh, you didn't have to worry about your own end of the ice. And uh, you say, okay, put Pavel Burry in, in today's game or a real structure-type coached game, and would he be nearly as effective as he was? Can you teach superstars, though, to play defense? 
I mean, Pavel Burry could back check and play smart defensively if he wanted, couldn't he? <laughs> No. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. No, I would have had fifty shutouts a year too. Uh, yeah, if, if some coach taught me how to do it. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, uh, that's, that's, I, I, I just, I, Steve Eiserman did it. Yes. Yeah. 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 But I, I like the, the only knock on, on on Almo was like, man, like he was a big game player, right? Like the the big moments he showed up for and. And, and guys always raved about how he was there, and, and, and he could play at both ends of the ice. But that guy, like, admittedly took nights off. Don't you think, Hershey? Like, there, that guy would, like, as much as he dazzled you, that guy could legitimately check out as well. Yeah, you know what? He was a moody person. Like he, I, I got, I know Alex really well, or I did it back then. I, you know, he was just, he was, he, he was a bit, he was a super great guy, um, one of the best people i ever played with but he yeah he was moody there were nights when it you know it it just it, it kind of he would say he never wanted to just not you know everybody or you don't go out to a game and say i'm just not going to show up but yeah there were nights that that you know you didn't see him but when he when he did that some of the stuff that he could the biggest thing about almo was is that you couldn't take the puck off of him when he had the puck like puck protection wise like he was so solid like guys would say i can't get the puck from him it's, and it was, you know, his puck protection skills were incredible. Yeah. And Hershey, I travel with you guys for a little bit. And actually, Elmo and I would jump in the cab quite a bit and go to the rink. And he made sure he knew the company was paying for the cab ride because he didn't want to give the money. <laughs> I, I loved him. But you could tell after a period, you know, or after a few shifts, you go, okay, he's, he's going to dial it up tonight. He'll be the best player on the ice because he decides he wants to. But I agree, man. He had so much talent. And, and you, to your point, as you said, one of the and maybe one of the most misunderstood Vancouver Canucks, because I think he used that Russian card a little bit not to talk, but was as nice a guy as you could find. Well, yeah. Here's here's the thing. Remember when all those guys were getting extorted, the Russian players? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when all that was going on? Now I don't have any inside information on any of that stuff, okay? But those guys that were they were scared of that stuff. And, you know, I don't know if Alex was, was a, t- a person that that was happening to or whatever, but that's why they weren't very open and they were really guarded with who they talked to and, you know, what they were doing and all that, uh, you know, and also everybody thought him and Pav would be best friends and they really weren't, you yeah. know, like very rarely did I see them together. They were cordial, um, but, you know, so there was other stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about um and it was scary for some of those guys and i think that's why they were as quiet and you know withdrawn as most of them were yeah i rounded up my team with henry sedin i don't think we can argue cheech you can speak to thomas gradine and uh you know just how how talented he was would you would you argue that decision no not at all and uh a different era where uh, thomas wasn't very big and played big. Uh, he was tough, a lot tougher than, and the Oilers used to try and intimidate him all the time. And uh, Thomas was uh, such a great talent, and uh, he played through all that. So here's so, my Olin, roster. Jova, Markson. Yeah. What do you got, T-Ball? All right. So up front, I've got Pedersen, Naslin, and Linden. On my back end, I've got Reinhardt and Babich. And my goaltender is the best goaltender. And sorry, guys. I mean, 
best goaltender in franchise history, outside of Corey Hirsch and John Garrett, of course. Yes. <laughs> Roberto Luongo. Um, how? Like, let me ask you guys this, like legitimately, how high is the ceiling? Like listening to people kind of, and I guess I'm kind of backing, I guess, the opinion on this here based on where I took Petey, but there's a lot of people that are ready to crown Petey the, the best player in franchise history. Where do you see the ceiling here for 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 Pedersen? Oh, I think he could be. Yeah, yeah I ahead. I think he could be. I don't think there's any doubt that uh, he's probably going to get stronger. Uh, he's got such great hockey sense. He's got such great instinct. I I think he he could be uh, stay healthy and uh, do the things that he does. And he he looks after himself. Uh, he he's uh, going to be the best player he could be the best player in the league if he gets a some supporting cast uh that can help him out and uh make sure that he's not the center of attention every night and play against the best defenseman on the team every night and uh have a shadow every night if the Canucks can build up enough supporting cast uh, he could be the best player in the league Wow. Yeah. Um, I think with Quinn Hughes that, you know, that's going to obviously help him. I think Quinn Hughes will go down as one of the best cats in history. Um, and him and Pedersen together. I like this. I'm excited for this group in the next five to seven years. Yeah. I just get a little hesitant. I'm like, it's not like I argue against you guys, but it's amazing that we're talking over 50 years of history and we're saying that, and and in the last twenty four months, likely the two greatest players that have ever played and will ever play have just arrived. I mean, it just that yeah. defies the odds. And how I'm many other Canucks are we just have won setting the, ourselves up many, for failure? Or are they that special? How many other Canucks have won the Rookie of the Year? Well, yeah. no one, and and been in the conversation. And you throw best. Yeah, there you there. go. And, you're right, Cheech. I mean, I think you go back to the Rangers in the late 60s where they had three years in a row where they had representatives for the Rookie of the Year. So maybe you're, you're just scared when you have such good things fall your way. And it took 50 years. And now you're going, really? It's raining from the heavens, this kind of hockey talent on Vancouver? Uh, maybe that's why I'm just cautious that it's defying the odds. Um, well, there's a reason they haven't won a cup, right? Yeah. You know. No, you need uh, those superstars. Yeah. Um, yeah. Guys, I, I'll just say this. Uh, we're up against the clock here, and it's uh, it's almost closing time here for us for the weekend. But uh, thanks for taking part this morning. It was fun, and it's uh, just to kind of see where everybody's heads are at and a uh, different perspective. I mean, it's fun to kind of go down memory lane through the franchise and, and look at some of the names and, and really a full reflection of the past, the present, and the future of this team. So, uh, Hershey, thank you so much. Cheech. Thank you so much. We miss hearing both you guys calling games, but still nice to talk hockey with both of you guys this morning. Well, let's just hope we can uh, call games come January or at the very latest February. Yeah. You'll look good yeah. with a mask, yeah. though, Cheech. <laughs> you should see my hair. I look like Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> I didn't I didn't recognize you on the Zoom call the other day with the alumni. <laughs> you still look good. It's all good. Thanks, guys. Stay safe, pals. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks, Frank Drebin. There he is, uh, Corey Hirsch <laughs> and uh, John Garrett. Uh, taking part this morning on the starting lineup all-time Canucks draft uh, here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. All right, 10 minutes to uh, 9 o'clock. The Scott Ritual Show coming your way at the top of the hour. Sabolski and Solkowski ready to uh, get on out of here for the, uh, for the weekend. Dive into some NFL, hopefully. Probably not going to order the Tyson and Jones fight uh, pair, I got to say. I don't think I want to commit to the 50 bucks. Uh, I was just going to ask the price tag. Is that what it is, 50? That's what, I, that's what I've seen, yeah. Social media will give us a couple of highlights probably by midnight tomorrow. You know, it's an interesting exercise we just did because it depends on the criteria. And a lot of people are texting in the Dumber Lumber text line. Uh, you know, because if you said, you know, name your all-time starting lineup for the Canucks uh, and the criteria is they just had to wear the uniform at some point. You know, uh, people have said Cam Neely. You know, Mark Messier, I think, would be there. I think the only guy, you know, up front, the only guy who probably makes it, if that's the criteria, I, I think probably is Burre, wouldn't you? Like, you know, with a Neely, with a Messier, with a, a Sundin. I mean, Henrik may be in that conversation, but you would see your forwards might be eliminated. And then the issue we talked about, James, is, I, you know, defensively, again, it just speaks to the void that they had back there as far as having an all-time great. Well, that's it, right? I mean, Bobby and Vancouver chirping me, you know, saying I would have been better off with Lume and Edler instead of Reinhardt and Babich. And, um, yeah, I looked for a little puck mobility. I thought Babich was kind of steady Eddie back, uh, you know, during the yeah. 90s. Um, I love my forward group. Um with Petey and Nazi and Linden up front and Luongo, I'll I'll take my chances with uh, you know in, in terms of goaltenders in Canucks history. I think you got to go with Bobby Lou, um, but yeah, no, you're right. Like you know Igor Larionov, and it's funny. I was talking to a buddy yesterday, yeah. and and he had kind of mentioned. He said, man, like he had he had Larionov really high on his list, and and it's funny because I don't think a lot of people necessarily define Larionov as a Canuck. Right. And, no. I, and, and because he had the success with Detroit and, you know, he had a couple of good years in, in San Jose as well. But that sort of um, that. But that time, like, man, L- L- Igor Larionov was still Igor Larionov and a pretty good version of himself here. It's not that, like he phoned it in here. Right. Larionov, Krutov, Makarov, arguably the greatest hockey line ever put together when they played in Russia. Right. And he was part of that. So you're right. Uh, your, your buddy's right that. Igor should be in those conversations. They're tougher when these are guys who played 30 years ago. But, you know, watching some of the retro games that Sportsnet's showing, I remember watching a little bit of the 94. And, you know, we've gotten to know Babs very well as an alumni. Dave Babich is a great guy. You thought, you know, Dave Babich, man, he was a mainstay on that blue line. Like He could play. He could move the puck. He could take the bodies. And here's a guy who, you know, where he was drafted, uh, you know, there's – there's not great elite NHL Hall of Fame defensemen, but there's a lot of guys who played in the Canucks that could certainly certainly play. Fun exercise to do. You know, and, and, and to add an even another layer of that from a fun standpoint, like what does that look like when you really expand the roster in, in the history, right? Like we had four teams, right? So like there's some good names that get left, left off, but what do you say you have 10 of your buddies and you have a Zoom conference over beers one night, and, and what does that look like? you know, drafting three forwards, two defensemen, and a goaltender, right? You know, 10 teams, mm-hmm. you start getting down to the, the eighth or ninth goaltender in team history. Like, what does your goaltender look like there, right? What is what is the 20th and, you know, what are the, you know, when you start getting to, you know, the 20th yeah. defenseman in team history, who's that? Like, 
there'd be some names that you go, oh, okay. Um, but nevertheless, uh, fun exercise to try this morning. We got to get out of here. Um, have a great weekend. Hey, I know it's Black Friday this weekend. Be safe. Be smart about it. Support local businesses. Uh, a lot of them right here uh, are big supporters of our radio station here at Sportsnet 650, like Dunbar, Lumber, and so many others. So we say thank you and have a great weekend, buddy, and keep it here on Sportsnet you- 650. Stay safe.